Previously on AFTN. It doesn't feel like there's a great pool of experienced quality referees laying around in North America. No. no. My wife clearly could do a better job. I miss Mark Geiger. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, don't that's say how it. bad it's He's got. the guy who put this guy there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Everybody, you are listening to another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. If you listen to the show on the podcast, this will be episode 330. I am Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And hopefully we might be joined on the phone by... Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. Yes, Zach is not with us in the studio tonight. He is trialling for Cavalry FC. How, how's that gone? You, you going to make a shot at, at getting in the team? Uh, yeah, no chance. But I was—I have been disappointed to spending the last uh, three or four days in uh, in Calgary, and I haven't seen one single person wearing anything of all that merch they sold at uh, Spruce Meadows. To be fair, though, I think if you do spend three or four days in Calgary, you are probably likely to be disappointed by the end of it. <laughs> and I think most of the merch was sold to the horses. Yes. A lot of horse caps. Yeah, you're not, not seeing any players wandering about, getting mobbed? No, actually, I, this time I haven't even touched base with Marco when I was in town. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I haven't seen anything. But, it's, it's, I mean, they've they're got the preseason and they're getting ready to go to the, the Dominican Republic and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're busy. Yes, that, that is true. Well, we are glad to have you with us tonight. Obviously, there's a time difference, so we don't know how long you'll be with us for, but stay for as long as you want, because we have got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk Whitecaps, we're going to talk MLS, we're going to talk attendances, Canadian men's national team, and a lot more besides. We might even talk about some former Whitecaps that managed to find the, the back of the net this weekend. I'm sure that will crop up. But we have to start with Houston, Whitecaps, another week, another defeat, another controversial VAR decision. I don't Maybe we should just play last week's show and just not actually bother doing this and, and just get home a little bit early. Now, I don't want to overreact this early in the season. It's not been easy, Zach, watching... This play out, it's been a tough three weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair to say. And I think we, we talked about we talked about it last week, right? 
uh, I think you said it, Michael. You know, the the call was seemed to, to be wrong, even though on the show I made the case of probably what the VAR people were thinking. <laughs> the call, the call, the call was wrong. And the crazy thing is, Pro or MLS or whatever actually came out and said, "Yeah, it was wrong," right? In yeah. Their, in their in their write up of the of the, the the contentious calls of the week, but what does that do do for Vancouver? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. And it gives RSL three points. And Corey Baird got away with it. He didn't yeah. get anything. I, all week, yeah, that, all week I was waiting for Corey Baird's embellishment, but no. Well, I think yeah, they got their come, comeuppance this weekend against DC. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, but yeah, the fr- frustrating times for sure, Michael. Very, very frustrating times, both with officiating and the the slow coming together of a, of a side that's you know obviously trying to find itself. Yeah, and I mean, they've, they've gone down to a 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon in Houston in front of a sparse crowd, and that, that's something that we're, we're going to cover in part three. The, the locals, though, missed a fairly entertaining five-goal game. Caps, obviously, on the, the wrong end of the scoreline, sinking to their worst ever start to an MLS season. Yeah. A- any real surprises there for you? B- before the season started... I was chatting to a, a media member, and he was like, "Give me your prediction for what the point points total will be for the White Caps from the first five games." I said two, and he said I was being really pessimistic. I think that was being a bit optimistic now, looking at how things have gone. Well, I was I was going for one out of their first four games. Um, I thought, and I was hoping it would be one of these first three games to get the point in. Um, yeah, I thought a point against Minnesota and a point against RSL. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So th- they've gone already. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is this isn't obviously the nightmare start that they wanted to avoid. Um, and when you didn't take anything from the game against Minnesota at home, that it was a bad sign of things to come and then how things have played out. Uh, they're going up. They're going into you know after these three games, they're going into what is. Uh, to, to me, on paper, the most difficult of the four of the yes. four games. So it does. It, there's not. There's. There's not a lot of hope on the horizon. I mean, all all you can really look for from these first three matches is signs that there's improvement and that it's continuing to improve. I, I feel we are seeing that. There's individual signs of players like like showing flashes and everything, but. The whole, I, I just don't see the whole uh, thing coming together yet. I didn't, I didn't expect it to come together this quickly either. No, I mean, I'm one of the people that wants to give him more time. I'm not that bothered. My bothering, uh, the thing that bothers me more is some of the decisions that are made before the game uh, for lineups and formations that uh, boggle my mind of why they did this and why they did that. Yeah. So that uh, that's where I'm I'm lost at right now. I mean, they're coming together. It, it feels a little bit, Zach, that it's, it's slower than a John Arise turn. <laughs> oh no! Um, you know, Steve, Steve. I think your your frustration has also been one of the things that a lot of people have pointed to in terms of one of the things that they like or they appreciated about so far this season is that even though the original plan has not played out, there have been um, alternate game plans within the game that have you know seemed to have at least help. Uh, you know, help or, or or change the game a bit, right? No, I'm not um, talking about in game. I'm talking about before the game. Like, I'll, I'll no. use I'll use the example right off the bat. Like, why is Derek Cornelius playing left back in the first game when he's never played that before? 
Why is he? What well, kind of needs must? Why? Why uh, did they? Why did they switch to a three-five-two when they haven't even mastered the four? Uh, whatever they were playing, four-three-three. Like that's that the things that boggle my mind. Like, why are you? If you want to try the three men at the back, why not try it after two weeks of training it and then go throw it against Seattle at home? Yeah, that, that, that some, that some of that stuff doesn't a do weird it. one. Yeah, but no, really, I, I didn't think it was weird at all. Like, it, it, really? it kind of cost the game in both instances. Okay, well, the, the game, the game against Houston. As soon as I saw the lineup uh, and the form, the, the the formation that was kind of given with it. It was very obvious that they were trying to do everything they could to not lose the game. They they, they were playing what it was like a five two two one, right? Yeah, I mean, on paper, officially, it was a three four three. Yeah. I, I kind of got wind of what the well, I, I got wind of what the team was looking like from training on Wednesday, and then the person that told me that I'm looking at them going, that there's no way that that is a a four three three formation. So. I, from that, like, I assumed it was three at the back. Michael, they can they can try and call that a three four three all they want, but it was very clear that it was nowhere near a three four three. They they were playing with f- essentially five at the back, three center yeah. backs and, and two wing backs. They were playing with two holding midfielders and then two not super wide uh, other attacking midfielders and one lone striker. Well, I mean, you say they were playing with five at the back. At times, it was hard it didn't look to, like it. to see where where those five guys were. And we'll, we'll delve a little bit into into the formation in in part two. But when I saw that, I I was expecting a heavier defeat. I, I do a preview for something over in the UK, and my my tip was that I thought maybe 2-0, 3-0 down by halftime. That's kind of what I was expecting. So Yeah, I switched from, I thought they might have be able to pull some points out of this game to they were going to lose right when I saw that formation. Well, I, I, have no, I had no faith in it at all. Well, last week I called 3-1 and it was fairly close. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was disappointing on a number of levels, especially as well because Houston had been playing in Mexico on Tuesday night. So you're traveling yep. back from a, a disappointing performance where they put out a strong team. Yeah. You've got all the travel back. I know it's not a long way from Mexico to, to Texas, but it's still it's still travel and being in a different country and that kind of atmosphere. But they looked to fresher off the team in the first half. That was that was the crazy thing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, that I don't I don't think any of the three games this year I felt super excited about Kind of, except for I guess maybe the first game they were okay, but like in terms of just like the intensity of the of the performance, um, I I don't think any because it, it's still in part I believe it's it's because it still feels like they're trying to work things out, right? It still feels oh like, well yeah I mean they they, so, they definitely are disjointed and yeah it's disjointed and they're trying to figure it out on the fly, which again, in one sense feels inexcusable and in another sense is understandable because of how things have come together. Yeah, and I mean we've seen it before, and we've talked about it before, and it's an easy excuse to make that the first few months of the MLS season doesn't really matter as much because of the fact that you've seen teams like Seattle and Portland make these great second half runs. That's what we kind of have to maybe hope is going to happen. But we're only three games in; we are only four points out the playoff picture, so I mean a lot can happen. But we'll we'll kick things off. Just by looking at the goals. Now, Houston could have taken the lead six minutes in. Oh. 
I mean, that was Memo Rodriguez blasted over from close range. I mean, Crippo did well to get his hand on Albert Elise's cross, but he just parried it straight into the path off Rodriguez, who blasted over. Now, you would have thought that would have been a warning sign for the Caps of the yeah. danger that those two were going to pose all afternoon. But nope, apparently they didn't get the memo or they didn't even try and pick him up because 15th minute, again, Elise into Rodriguez, this time buried, stemming from Derek Keneally has given the ball away in the corner to Elise. And there were so many things wrong with this goal that when I watched it back today, it really started to raise my anger. Starting off with Cornelius giving the ball away, I don't know what he was thinking. Was he trying to hit it off him to, to go out of bounds? That's was what he I trying thought. to clear it? That's what I thought yeah. he was trying to do because it was right into him. I thought, he, But I don't think he hit it hard enough mm. or he just mishit it. And that's why it didn't come off as well. He, he, but he had no support. To, he had nobody to outlet it to. Where was the True. fullback? You have to come back and support the player that won the ball. Well, that's why I'm saying like you're talking about five at the back. The PC. It, I didn't see him anywhere at the back, yeah. I mean, what, 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 was, what do you think Cornelius was was trying to do there? Is that, do you think he was just oh. trying to hit it off him? Oh, I, I, totally. What, I, if he was trying to do something else, then there's maybe more problems. <laughs> there are more things we should be worried, people yeah. should be worried about. Because, you know, he was totally, he had nowhere to go, and he was just trying to hit it off the guy and, and into touch. It, I guess one thing you could criticize him for is just not smashing it harder, right? Like Yeah, because then it would definitely have gone out. Or yeah, you've, you've got more chance of it going out, yeah. Yeah, but but, but the when I when I saw the, the Houston lineup, I thought uh, I thought the not having Kyoto on that left wing was a plus for Vancouver. Yeah, I, was, I thought oh this will be a won't be as dynamic dynamic from that side of the field, but I was obviously very wrong. Well, I mean, but we talked last week, and the preview show talked about this as well. They were worried about what damage Houston would do to the Whitecaps' left side. And, I mean, the first 15 minutes you saw that. But we'll, we'll talk about Cornelius' performance when we look at some of the players in part two. But he was certainly not the only one at fault there. Yes, he made that initial error. But when you watch it back, I've no idea what Eric Godoy was thinking. Because he's got Rodriguez behind him. He never once glances over his shoulder. As soon as the ball is given away and Elise starts to come into the box, he just heads towards the ball completely leaving Rodriguez unmarked behind him. Ball comes yeah. through to him, and he's, he's got the easiest tapping. But then Sutter as well, he was too far away to close him down. So I, I don't blame him for not chasing back, because he was never going to catch him. Never going to catch him, But yeah. he should have been closer yeah. as well. But the thing is, like, like, like that's the same thing about the support. There should have been somebody on outlet. But the, I think for Godoy, is more like a shock that the ball was given away in that mm. position that he wasn't expecting. And then maybe he, at that point, it just becomes a scramble drill where you're trying to get to wherever you can. You're not, you're not really thinking. You just want to get to the ball. Well, yeah, uh, this is one of the things. When you're playing with three, three center central defenders, and you're playing with these three uh, dynamic uh, attackers from Houston, uh, you have to communicate extremely well, especially with your fullback, as to when you're picking them up or when you're handing them off. And, yeah, it was obviously a, a clear breakdown in that. And, and, and the breakdown in it, obviously, is, uh, you know, the, the significance of it is increased by the fact that Cornelius, you know, coughed up the ball in the way yeah. that he did. Now, you kind of feared the worst by this point because it looked like Houston were just going to have their way with us. But credit to the Caps, they, they fought back. 
somewhat unexpectedly, I felt. I just, I, I didn't see them levelling before half-time just the way that the game was going because they were hardly out of their half and that's something that, that we'll talk a little bit about as well. But they got a penalty, Freddie Montero, brought down in the box. It looked at first that he went down fairly easily, but he did get kicked in, no, the, in there the guts was, and there was yeah, contact. There was definitely significant was, contact, yeah. Like after, we, we talked about Norwinski in week one, this was another stupid <laughs> tackle by a defender, but yeah. this time it was on our guy. I mean, no qualms that this was a penalty. Well, he had a little qualms by his reaction after the penalty was given. Oh, that, he was rolling was around. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful reaction. I thought I, he was I just going to start stamping the uh, the the turf or whatever. Like a, like a, a I thought fit. there was a grassy knoll in Houston or something, <laughs> and someone had had a pop at him. Yeah, but I mean that yeah. that that was a clear penalty, Zach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. No. no. It's just again, like you said, very poor timed. Like you know, I, yeah. It was. It was. It felt like, yeah, oh, this is the early early part of the season, that kind of tackle. Yeah. Now, Montero gets up, buries it, first goal since his return to the Caps. Even though it's a penalty, does that ease some of the pressure on him? Because he's been brought in to score. We've saw what he did two years ago. It was his best ever MLS season. We can at least stop saying now that only defenders have scored for the White Caps, so that, that's a plus as well, but... Is that any pressure on him, or I think it takes a little bit off because he's he's not thinking about getting that first goal. Maybe it frees yeah. him up when open play as well, because he still yeah. has to get the ball. Yeah. Strikers are all about scoring and confidence, and so uh, yeah, something as simple as a PK uh, can can lift that confidence and 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 just help their their mental state. Yeah, and of course, giving away a PK can do the complete opposite, <laughs> which brings us to this week's controversial moment, brought to you by. I don't know, something that's going to calm your nerves. I don't know what that would be. A hammer? Marijuana? Oh, maybe. Albert Elise, who, I've got to say, was absolutely fantastic for this whole match, but I feel he's a diving bastard in this situation. He did appear to throw himself down in the box after Cornelius cleanly knocks the ball away. Photos have surfaced today that shows it was a perfect tackle in many ways. He got all ball. The Caps were furious. They asked for a VAR review, which is automatic anyway. And we'll talk about the whole VAR thing very shortly, but it was reviewed. The penalty was still given. Now, am I just wearing my white caps, coloured glasses, or, I mean, did you see this in a penalty in any way, shape, or form? I I didn't see it. Like uh, Again, same thing with uh, the uh, the Nowitzki one. At first, oh, I thought, oh, God, it's a penalty. But when you look at it, he, he like you said, he did get contact with the ball. Uh, I thought significant. There was a little touch, but he only fell after he landed on Cornelius's leg. Mm. Like he stepped on it. That's when he fell over. And to be fair, like you do, if you're a Houston fan, you want your striker to go down in a situation. Yeah, like I'm that. not. I'm not blaming him, but it, like that's why we have VAR, so it's exactly not, it's to, re- to review it. I mean, Zach, did you see it as a penalty at all, or? Uh, you know what? I I kind of do. Uh, I, oh. I might, I might, well, again, I, maybe I, have, I haven't seen it. I didn't look at any of the stuff that came out today. But yesterday, the, the times that I watched it, yes, he does get part of the ball. But as we talked about before, there's no such thing in the rules as if you get the ball, then yep. you're fine. Yeah, right? but he did. So, yeah. So, I mean, he knocked correct. it away cleanly. Right, but, then, but yes, but then didn't his uh, like leg go into Elise's leg? Well, Elise's leg went into his. Is how I saw it. 
and I think the referee slash VAR people saw it the opposite way. Again, I, I, I'm, well, you have to think I, that, yeah. I'm, I might need to look at it again or see whatever angles maybe came out today or images came out today because I know the images after the last week's game were uh, quite damning and obviously, you know, uh, MLS felt the same. Oh, yeah. But, um, that doesn't matter, though, in terms of no, embellishing no, the guy yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. But, well, one thing, though, and we said this last week as well, you've got a white cap defender putting himself in that situation, allowing a player to run at him get past him and then forcing him to make a tackle from the back and like 99 times out of 100 that's just a recipe for disaster yeah, yeah Cornelius should have taken him out before he hit the box that's the only option at that point but again I'm going to go again though why is he out there by himself covering Albert Elise he shouldn't be in that position Center in a three back uh, center backs don't normally cover the wingers. They're kind of the backup for the whoever the wing back is to cover for them. And I, I didn't see PC anywhere in that in that in that screen when when they showed the, the whole replay. Yeah, that's that's thirsty because you know Elise is going to cause you so many problems. Yeah, uh, and you and they obviously are. To me, it felt like again when the the team they put out was meant to to stifle. Houston as much as possible, and this was just another example of them failing to do that. I do want to say. I, I, you're all like you said, Michael. You're always in trouble when you're coming in from behind to, to, to tackle and scoop the ball away or knock the ball away. Yes, it, it does come off from time to time, and you look like an amazing defender. But more often than not, it yeah. doesn't work out. And this was just, this to me, I think is a is a is just a, a, the case where you're asking for trouble when you come in from behind. This would this would have been obviously this wouldn't have happened if they just listened to me and tried to get at least onto our team. Yes, in the yeah, off season, true. I I said true. send him a, a one and a half Just million. Send him of, no, send him one and a half million gam or tam or whatever you want. Uh, say you'll you'll give him fifty percent of whatever the sell on fee and just be done with it. I think they would have well, gone for the deal like that. Well, wasn't was it him or Minotis that wanted out this summer? Uh, at least it was. It was yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he wanted he wanted to go to Europe. Yeah, Celtic were rumored to be interested in him at one point, and then there was a couple of other clubs as well. I, I've got an idea of how we can get him, but we'll, we'll come to that later. Because Elise picks himself up, slotted the penalty home. It's 2-1, anger-inducing, which brings me nicely onto the section that we debuted last week and have a feeling we might see a lot of it this season. <laughs> I'm an angry bastard. So... Why exactly am I an angry bastard this week? Well, as usual, driving around Vancouver. But aside from that, VAR. What is it good for? Huh? Absolutely nothing, apparently. Both last week and this week, you look at the footage and a penalty's given. And it's not just in this game. There's been some other instances in MLS this weekend where there's been some strange decisions. One today in the Toronto game for example, with Toronto's second goal. This week, at least the ref went to it. Now, the video referee obviously felt that there was something there, whether he thought there was a clear mistake to, to get Sagafi to have a look at it. But then Sagafi looks at it, still says no. So, two officials looking at the same footage, but disagreeing. Yeah. How? Well, obviously folks got... 
can come up things now, from different things. But how? Now, how? normally, I, 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 I've seen this guy ref in a couple times, and I'm, I kind of liked him because he doesn't get too much involved into the game. Now, my biggest issue with VAR, and we talked about it on previous episodes, I don't like that the on-field referee makes the decision. Yeah. First of all, he's in a position where he's going to be uh, uh, second-guessing himself, and then like he feels like, why are they second-guessing me? I thought it was a clear penalty. So he might might be going into the review with a or like a kind of already thought yeah. uh, to, to what he's going to do. Some egos, exactly. Second of all. Um, he's obviously, they've been running around. So how much can you concentrate on reviewing a call when you're all like, uh, in, in that kind of heat and everything like that. And you're kind of exhausted or whatever that point of the game, I think it was 44 minutes in at that point or something close to that. It was last five minutes of the first half. And then third, I think they should do this where it's a central place where they review these things. You can have six or seven fourth or fifth officials or whatever the hell they call now. You could have them all watching the games, and then you have one guy who's like the main guy who's yeah. f- independent from yeah. the match that's going on, and he he comes over when there's an issue, and he they they decide it. Am I, am I mistaken? Uh, can game cricket and rugby do? Don't they have the people off the field make yep. the decision? Rugby definitely. Yeah, so they they, they don't they don't rely on the on field ref, and that guy's never. They, those guys usually had never have a problem. They want help. To make the right call. Zach, should decisions be made centrally or would refs and pro argue that that's taken away the authority of the match official? Well, I thought I thought New York did uh, have some kind of connection maybe when this first came out, but maybe I'm wrong and I'm just thinking about how they do it in, in Germany because there is a central connection point in Cologne for the Bundesliga that is involved in everything that's going on in all the matches. Like, there are there, I don't know if they have... No one in the stadium is only being watched in Cologne, and Cologne calls and says, "Tell the ref, you know, ref, look at it or whatever." But uh, I, I, obviously, the way this season has started, it does not feel like this is um, improving on how it was used last year. Yeah, and we've talked we've talked in the past on how th- this is, for the most part, been a, a fairly seemingly positive development for the the game of, of professional football. And uh, it seems like it might be uh, kind of this. This is the second full season, right? Yes. So it, it feels like a sophomore slump for VAR. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, it was used in some of the FA Cup matches this weekend. Bizarrely, though, not all four of them. Yeah, and some they, of the matches they, that didn't no, have they, it, they needed it. They done, they've done that in the past too. They've, yes. well, it seems like they they kind of pick certain games. But to when test you're it out. when you're down to quarter final stage, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And I, we we won't mention your Man United too much. Steve, I know you won't like that. <laughs> but yeah, VAR. That's why I'm an angry bastard this week. That music actually calms me down. I, maybe actually I play a lot of this when I am driving around Vancouver so I'm possibly getting links here anyway so I've calmed down a little bit the Caps calmed down a little bit they regrouped at half time and they did look the most likely to get the next goal which they did and it was a great solo effort from half time sub last Bangura pounced on a giveaway ran in towards the box nice little touch inside to make space Beautiful curling finish into the bottom corner. 
That's what we want to see from him. Just not seen it enough. But it was a beautiful goal. Goal of the year so far. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think maybe... Uh, is he able to play a full 90? Does he, like... Is he somebody that we're going to have to rely off the bench or just for the first 45? Is this... He well, doesn't... well, he probably is able to in terms of fitness, but whether he can produce at the levels that we need for the full 90 has been the, the whole thing of recent seasons with him from speaking to people that seen him play the last couple of seasons. But it was a beautiful goal, Zach. Oh, yeah, it was well taken. It was like the the, the exact kind of uh, strike you'd expect from that position and, and how he cut in and then bent it in with the inside of his you know, right foot from the left inside left channel. It was it was great. And I think a great but, a great play by Montero too to cause the turnover as well. Yeah, better yeah, hustle. But, yeah, but again, it feels like um, three games, and it feels like you know we've already we've talked a little bit about last being inconsistent. So we, I feel like we've seen the off performances, the good one. So the, the the question with him and a number of the other players in the squad is: Can he consistently perform like that? Yeah, that that is the big big thing. Then just to finish this part of the show, the match winner came for Houston in the seventy third minute. We were just caught for pace, basically. PC was left in the wake of Elise, who was fantastic the the whole game. Rodriguez again, though, ghosts in completely unmarked. And I watched this back today a couple of times. Sutter, so badly out of position. He was drawn too far inside. That happened to Jake a couple of times, too. Same thing. Like we talked about it last week. They must be getting told to do this. They're playing so narrow. But where where were the wingers and the midfielders to recognise that and to track back and fill that hole? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. I guess maybe they were going for the win. <laughs> I mean, it, it was horrible. Another bad goal. All very bad goals to give up, Zach. See, yeah, Steve, do you really think they were going for the win? Uh, I'm just saying that. Okay, okay. Because, okay. yeah, I think they would have been uh, jubilant to come away with a, with a point. It, yeah, it's... it's that it, You... You 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 know you, there's this dynamic attack with dynamic movement. You you know it coming into the game. You've seen it happen already in the match, and you've kind of you, you failed to stop it happening again. Uh, you got to think the players were gutted at that point, uh, and, and you know they weren't able to to claw anything back after that. So gutting all round, and that was our thoughts on the match in Houston. We'll be back with the thoughts of both head coaches and a look at the good the bad and the ugly to come out of the match after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Stupid, 
stupid kid there by our artists of the month, the Sultans of Ping FC. Played them last week and we dedicated the song You Talk Too Much to Stephen Caldwell. Not necessarily saying that I'm dedicating stupid kid to him as well. But a big plus point from yesterday's game was the amplified crowd noise really drowned him out for most of the match. Oh, when I found out they were doing the call, I was... Oh, we we have did the, the explicit thing, right? Yes. I said, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> That's basically my response when I heard it was yeah. when I heard uh, the guy at the studio, uh, whatever his name, Kelsey Bray, no, whatever his name is. He goes and off to Luke and Steven for the call. I was like, oh, oh man. no, it's so disappointing. It's. Ugh. I wish you could just do radio, but the radio is delayed too, so yeah. you can't really sync it up. It's hard to. Sounds of Ping, an Irish band there, so it's very fitting that we've actually got them as our Artist of Month with it being St Patrick's Day this week. Got my pig under my arm and my. Is it today? Yeah. Oh yeah. Seventeenth of March. You mean you haven't been out getting drunk for the no. show? No. Oh, that's disappointing. I'll leave it to Joe's easy. Okay, but you are listening to the AFT and Soccer Show this St Patrick's Day on CITR Radio one hundred one point nine FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory from the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. So you got our take on the game in part one. Going to play you a little bit of audio now from both head coaches. First of all, we're going to hear from Houston's Wilmer Cabrera. Then we'll hear from Mark DeSantos himself and some good stuff from both of them. Haters hate but lose when we in the race. Hey, we up in the place and we gon' put it in their face. Let them know. Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. Oh, Houston Dynamo. You know, I think uh, we play a very good game despite of the two goals that we received. Those two goals, we're going to fix those because it was a PK where you know, Adam uh, was trying to mark, but he lost, he lost the side of the ball. And then when he tried to turn, he lost the side of Montero. So, and when you're defending in corners, you, you cannot lose both. You have to be doing, and he recognized that you know, for a moment he lost that. And, but anyway, that happens. And the second one, you know, Matias tried to switch the ball and he passed the ball to Lars. And he, we were, we were in a in a bad shape in that moment. We were exposed, and and he he took advantage of that situation. But we can fix those easily. Now, the other side is with the ball. We were very good, much better today. Our passing, our our combinations for moments they were great for moments we were very good and the front three they were dangerous albert had a almost a perfect game memo it's uh, you know he was he was very good and he scored two goals and mauro was moving the whole day he he wasn't lucky that he couldn't score but the whole time and combinations and unselfishness from 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 everyone to try to score, to try to pass, to try to move the ball. I I think that that was very good, and I'm happy about that. And, and we scored three goals, very good, very good uh, in in the way we play normally uh, as a as a team. We can talk about Memo. What can you say about his past two MLS games, and how hard is it to keep him out of the starting lineup for the following games? I, I saw the possibility to give a little bit of break to Romel because he was, you know, working hard throughout the the, the other competition, and uh, and 
you know, it's just it's just a matter of, okay, now, Memo, you're going to play, and Romel, you're coming from the bench. And Romel came in, and he's strong, and he's dangerous. He was, you know, with a lot of energy, and he's pushing. So I think that is important for us because the the beneficiary at the, at the same time is the, the team. If Memo's playing, he played with his style and he scored goals and push. If Romel plays, if Romel is pushing, knowing how dangerous he is, and, and that is important for us. The same thing with Albert, the same thing with Marlon, the same thing with uh, uh, Mauro, the same thing with Tommy McNamara and Tom, Tomas Martinez. It's a healthy competition, but at the same time, it's possibilities for us because throughout the season, we need everyone. I think the result happens a little bit more in the first half where um, as a team, if we want to get results uh, on the road and grow, we can't give up the type of goals we gave um, because then you're always chasing. Uh, and that's what happened today. Of course, that mentality of the guy was were, the guys were was good again in the second half. Not only we, we tied the game, uh, but we also, before uh, they scored the 3-2, there's a good chance for us where uh, Freddie gets a shot that's blocked and, and could have been dangerous. Uh, but overall, that's, that, that's the story of not only this game, but the first three games where it's all played by one goal. Um, and it's all situations that us as a team, we need to be better giving goals to the opponent if not it's going to be very difficult uh, but again you know we don't think that uh, the goals that we conceded had something to do tactically in the first half it was much more uh, decision making that um, that brought us to be down in the score at half and what's the key to that because we seem to play well at second half and also at the start of the game but yeah. a bit of a lapse in the middle it's work uh, it's work it's us being more more men and more composed and less genuine sometimes in some moments of the game. Uh, and that's what we have to be. And uh, do you feel now that we're going to an international break? It comes at a good time for us to work on anything? No. No, it doesn't come at a good time because after you lose and when you're in a moment like that, you want to play right away. Uh, so the international break comes in a bad time. Do yeah. you feel like this was the best performance of the three? No, no, no. I think it was a lot by pockets. Uh, we had good pockets of moment against Minnesota. Then our second half against um, Real Salt Lake was good. Uh, then again today we had good po pockets. Of course, that you feel that there's more and more in the team growing. Uh, but uh, if you want to uh, make points, uh, you can concede the way we, we concede. The gaffers there, Wilmer Cabrera and Mark DeSantos. Just having a little look over some of the things they said. Now, I liked that Mark DeSantos didn't reference the penalty, VAR, chemistry, nothing like that. Yeah. Just basically said we need to be better. Talked about needing to be far better defensively and not concede the way we're conceding. Well, I should tell you something that uh, in the 
in the in the the post game show that was on the radio. He actually didn't even see the penalty at that point when he was talking to them. Oh, and it was Paul Dolan who described him what happened to him. And Paul Paul was uh, Paul Dolan was totally against it being called a penalty. So he was basically describing it to him, and and you could hear DeSantis go, "Oh, really? Oh, like that." And so it was. Uh, it, it was interesting to see that you know obviously that's probably I don't know when this interview happened compared to that one so not sure but mm-hmm. it was he didn't see it at that point yeah he's saying he's saying good things Zach yeah I mean it shouldn't come to, come as a surprise that he's not talking about the lack of chemistry I believe he said I can't remember when or where specifically but he said that he doesn't want to talk about that as being an excuse they just yeah. need to move move forward so I don't think you'll hear him talk about it going forward because I don't think he likes to make that excuse. I think he knows that everyone knows that that's an issue and there are I hope everyone hopes doing all that they can to to overcome that. The same thing with same thing with the the, the defending. This is what you expect him to say, right? We're, we're, we're yes. not defending well. We need to we need to we need to change it. So But it's, it's refreshing that there's not any BS about oh good performances, unfortunate results, blah 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 and I mean, he's saying we're playing well in pockets. Defensively, though, is a big worry. Al- Ali Adnan should be in for the next game. That that should help at least. But, I mean, wh- what about the right side? Do you go with Sutter? Do you go with Nerwinski? It was maybe a little bit harsh dropping Jake for this one. But before the game, MDS had said that Sutter was in because he felt that playing a back three-stroke wing-back formation that Sutter had the better kind of offensive tricks of the trade to, to play that. More of than, an than offensive mindset. Yeah. That he's willing to take those chances. I mean, who, who would you go with moving forward, or at least for this, the Seattle games? Like, would you go with Sutter, or would you bring Jake back in? Well, I think we're all the same mind, right? There's no way they're going to go with a back three or a Well, back I hope not. <laughs> yeah, you have, yeah. To have, you have to have the right personnel if you want to do a back three, yeah, and they didn't I mean, have the right they, personnel. Well, and they they showed that by changing it at halftime, right? Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, I, because the because I, I cannot see it being another back three or back five, then I I think you see the return of Jake. Yeah. Now the Caps have a week off to to think about stuff, think what they've done, working things. Made it a little bit tricky with the fact that three of the defenders and three other players are away on international duty, and as noted by De Santos there. This break's kind of coming at the worst time because you've got three defeats and you just want to get back in and yeah. playing things. You don't. You don't want to have on time it. off. But do you feel this will recharge some batteries and give them some time to work on on stuff, or not really? Well, it's hard because a bunch of the, yeah the stuff the, the the defensive stuff you want to work on a bunch of those key guys are not there. yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a big that's What's, that's why I think he's frustrated. It's in bomb and uh, Reyna that are going away, right up yeah. top. Yeah, that would be. I'm not as concerned about Reyna because I don't even know if he should be in the starting eleven going forward mm-hmm. at least in the next game. Yeah, we'll come at him in a sec. Yeah. I, I like listening to Cabrera now. Last season, the MLS players were polled as to which man. Lots of questions. One of the questions was which manager would you least want to play for and Cabrera topped that poll I think it's because he's a little bit like Mark DeSantos in that he calls a spade a spade he he just says what he thinks and you know that he's going to tell the players that personally as well listening to him there though see when he reels off all those attacking players and 
how if some of them are playing, what guys he can bring off the bench and stuff like that. It, it's frightening to, to see a team with so much of an attacking threat. And then you look at the white caps and, yeah, we've got some guys that can come off the bench and be game changers, but we're nowhere near that deep attacking No, I, I understand what you're saying there, but this is the same team that missed the playoffs last year. They didn't make very many no, changes. Yeah, that was their defence that let them down. Yeah, and their defence didn't look that great yesterday either. So, uh, like, I, I understand that what you're saying, they have potential, but last year the potential didn't work, especially when they go on the road. So I yeah that's so but I agree, talked about that which but I, I didn't put in the thing. But I, yeah. I I agree with you. The names are definitely there for yeah. Houston. It's just a matter of whether they put it together. They they have this great attack, and I think one of, one of the reasons why they focused on that is something we'll talk about. I think in a little bit is because that's the the way I think they hope they can fill more of the seats in yeah. the stadium is by having dynamic attacks, scoring dy- dynamic goals. Like you said last year. It, they didn't score enough to, to 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 counterbalance the the number of goals that they were shipping, and so th- this year I think they're one of those teams that will be you know in and in and around hunting for a playoff or just in the playoffs or just out of the playoffs or whatever because because we still don't think I, I still don't think we have a, a clear picture of how well or how poorly they'll be defensively. True, when you think though. The start that they've had, they've taken seven points from nine. Now, all three matches have been at home, but they've had all these CCL matches in, in between. It's, it's pretty impressive. But, yeah, we, like a lot of teams, we just don't know what kind of team Houston is going to be in, in MLS this year. Whitecaps, we've no idea what, what we're going to be like either. But we'll, we'll have a little bit of a look at our usual good, bad and ugly that came out of that Dynamo match. But we'll start with the positives. We'll... Start with the good. I was kind of scrambling a little bit to try and fill, out, yeah. fill some good things in here. But last Bangura talked about him with the goal there. He did add a spark when he came on. But as MDS said, that's all well and good. We've got these guys that's shown some flashes when they've come on in the first three games. We need to put it together. Yeah. But we not just that. We need the starters to show the spark as well. Yeah. You can't just be relying on guys coming off the bench. But Lass, I think he's going to frustrate the hell out of us this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally, I thought, I felt that way from the the first glimpses of, uh, you know, the the matches in Hawaii with the Japanese coach shouting in her ears. <laughs> um, as yeah. soon as I saw Lass playing that, it's like this. It it felt like he is going to be so hit and miss, and so exciting and so discouraging. Uh, that you you'll have half the people love them and half the people can't stand them, and, and, and I'm happy I'm happy if that if it if if, if he his consistency you know improves and, and I'm wrong, but that's how it still feels that way. But yeah, I agree with you. It was one of the the best things the match was was his finish. If he is brilliant for half the games in the season and helps us win half the games, there's 51 points. So that's a, yeah. that's a good starting base. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I only watched the first half live and then I was going up to Empire for the VMSL Imperial Cup semi-finals. So I started to listen to the game driving up there and Pete Shad was commentating just as, as Lass got his goal. And Pete was saying Lass's celebration was like, oh, calm down, calm down, this is what I do. And I'm thinking, I wish that was what he did. Yeah. If that's what that celebration was, you need to learn from it, mate. Yeah. Another good thing, I, at least, was... Wang is looking good. 
Still looking good. Uh, not c- uh, converting on those chances, but coming pretty close. Yeah, a couple of close calls, forced a couple of saves, 90% pass accuracy this week, so good. Shame they can't spell his name right on his jersey, but I mean, apart from that, it was, it was a, a pretty good outing. And oh, that was that was unfortunate. I hadn't even noticed it until I, I saw it on Twitter later on that night. Uh, it was our our good friend uh, Jerky that Jerky Lumi. Jerky, I always call him Jerky for some reason. I do like Jerky yeah. though. He is, uh, yeah, he is continues to be uh, the most exciting player to watch in the in the squad. And uh, I work, I uh, I have a. Uh, some South Koreans that have, um, uh, that I connect with via work, who are, uh, yeah, they're 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 talking about the Whitecaps again. They're a little bit they're excited because one of their own is in the squad and what he might become and what he is and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully, hopefully he just continues to improve and also more than just improving as an individual. Obviously, you want him to be able to control games and and lead the team on yeah. the field. I mean, he he definitely looks like the guy that could be the difference maker. I, and I'm still sticking with Joaquin Ardaiz as being my guy for this year. Okay. I, I just want to go and fight crimes with him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do I do kind of worry, as though, that yeah, as we kind of investigate the crimes, he could turn out to be the guy that's committing a few of them. <laughs> but that's just how he looks, I think. I don't know. Or are detectives, private detectives. Yeah. I've had a lot, lot of time to think this week. Now, I'm taking this as a positive, because I was struggling, as I said, but... Each defeat so far has been just by a single goal. So we are close. Two of those were controversial penalties. Yeah, there uh, were the differences in each match. That's yeah. a sign that we're maybe not too far away. I don't think they're that far away, but the thing uh, you're hoping that it, it accelerates faster because the problem is with not being like just losing every time is all that's all you hear. Nobody really looks at the whole game as a total. They just want to see the result. And I know you love results. That's yes. what you want to see, but when you when you turn over a team this much, you just gotta give it that little bit extra time and everything. But we'll see what happens in the next few games. I think another positive was um, uh, I know I know he led in three goals, but really he really had no chances on the three goals. Max Crepo yeah, had a decent well. outing, of, yeah. So he's not looking out of place at all. That's true. I, I agree with you, Steve. I would have included that uh, far ahead of Michael's. Uh, Michael, your your point there is uh, just an indication of. Of how awful this, this this start is that you're excited about one goal losses and and losing to to controversial penalties. Trying to get my optimist union card back, they took it away from me the last couple of seasons. And talking of which, let's move on to the bad. Now, as close as we may or may not be for for turning things around, that is nine points dropped to teams that you have to feel come the end of the season. These are the teams that's going to be in and around us battling for these playoff spots. And that that could be huge. The schedule hasn't helped us starting off with that. Obviously, it's not the schedule maker's fault that we're trying to put a team together and, and find that spark. Yeah. But it would have been nice to have some Eastern teams in there to lose to. <laughs> maybe we'll go beat them down the road. Oh, maybe. That doesn't help us. Though. We want to take points off the, off the Western teams. Yeah. but. Any concerns, Zach, that we have given up three points to to teams that these could be three big points? Yeah, cool. Of course, yeah, it's exponentially more of a concern when you're playing teams in your own conference because that's who you're battling with for a cup spot. Uh, I, I would disagree with you, at least in, in part, in terms of the schedule making not being great for them because I think you'd rather be in Houston uh, any time that's not the summer. So playing them in the, the spring or the fall is much much better than 
than in the, the heat of their of their uh, their summer there. True, because we don't have Breck Shea to to win games for us down in Texas anymore. <laughs> now we touched about the formation in the first part, the three four three. Now. If people aren't overly familiar with what different formations are meant to do, a 3-4-3 is meant to be played by players that have got a firm grip on what's expected tactically. So tactical discipline is the key in that. In regards defending and what to do both with and without the ball. Now, the big advantage is if you do it right, when you flood forwards, you overrun the other team because you've got so many players Yeah, you've got forward, yeah. But if you end up on the back foot, which we did for most of that first half in particular, that system just cannot work. And it clearly didn't work because it was changed at half time. See, that, that, that's where I had the biggest issue of this game was the fact that they went to 3-4-3 three, three, or even if they went to 5, whatever it was, what, like Zach was saying. The problem is, is this team is still finding itself, getting together, chemistry, whatever you want to say. They shouldn't have been in a position where they changed formations from one week to another. Uh, especially, I know Arcel. It, it was like you said, one goal lost there, and it was it should have been a draw because the the I thought they they should have been a penalty, but they were coming off a thing where they knew they were hard done by, that they maybe want to show something. Maybe they would have been better if they kind of had a similar formation with a obviously a few changes here and there, but not too many. Like I I personally would have had like if Sutter came on at left back last week, I would have preferred him at left back this week, and p- keep Jake in there. Because PC is really not doing anything at left back, especially against a guy like uh, Elise. It just seemed weird to me that PC was fit after his eye injury, but yet you still go with that three in the back. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sure this didn't play a part in it, but with the Canadian national team game coming up and Cornelius pro- possibly being the starter in that, did he want to give him a run out and get him some minutes? Well, because then it help with his confidence it's, it's right now. Shot his confidence anyway. Yeah. I mean, what would you like to see, Zach, as, as the formation going forward now? Uh, I, I think the the four three three that you know from opening day. I think that's more neat, more likely to be the uh, the new the, the formation that will be the the primary one this season, and is one that obviously is different than what's been been played basically in the whole MLS era, or at least. I, Rennie sort of Martin Rennie sort of did, did it as, as well a little bit, but it's been a long time since that's been the kind of the primary uh, uh, initial approach to matches, and so I think that that's what it I think that's what it needs to be, and I do think that they they don't have the perfect personnel for it, but I think they have enough of the right pieces to to to, to make it work, uh, and I think that's what they'll want to play at home because it has the potential to be more attacking. I, I couldn't. I can't see them doing something more defensive on the road, like four-two-three-one. Yeah, uh, I'd like but, a four-one-four-one possibly, but yeah, that's I mean they, they have to they have to solve the problem. Like passing accuracy in the attacking half and the final third is shocking. Sixty-nine percent accuracy in the attacking half, but only fifty-nine percent passing accuracy in that final third. Yeah. Reina, seventy-one percent pass accuracy. Montero was a bit better this week. I think he was actually at 79%. But he was playing so deep with a lot of his passes. They have to bridge this gap. Yeah, the, the massive gap between the attack 
and the defense. And I don't know what's going on with Reyna either. Like, yeah. he just doesn't seem to be, like, I thought he would be, like, ready to go or, like, you know, he'd be, like, up for it. But it doesn't seem like he's in it at all at this he point. He did start slow last last year, as we, we talked about. Yeah. But then that kind of moves us on to the ugly side of it, which is keeping into, like, talking about this final third. If you look at the heat map for this match, and it's hard to justify and, like, explain it on the radio... JJ Adams tweeted it out. I was having a look at who scored, so he, t- he tweeted those out. So check those out. The Caps played most of the first half in their own half yeah. and on the back foot. In and around the penalty box was so cold in this heat map. It improved a little bit in the second half, but there's a big, big gap and a chunk in the left-hand side in the corner and to the left of the box where we don't seem to have any penetration at all. Yeah, and that's where you want you. That's why you brought a guy like PC on there to do yeah. that, and he didn't do it at all. So yeah, it's it's going to be a big issue if they if they don't fix this. I mean, hopefully Adnan can do something with. Do, do you see a big missing piece, Zach, as being possibly another number eight? Because Huang can't do all this on his own. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the discussions of the last couple of weeks: is what happens. Uh, what, what is Felipe's role in the squad, and and is that someone you want to bring in another player similar to who can either push him or replace him or take some of his time or, or whatever? So yeah, I think a number a number eight is well. I think a true. I don't think they. I don't think Imbom's a true ten. I don't think they. We've Vancouver's never had a true ten. Pedro Morales is the closest to it, right? In MLS era, yeah. so I think. But I don't think they're going to get uh, a ten, and and because I don't think they're going to spend the, the money to get uh, a quality ten, so they're not going to get a ten. They're going to fill it with other other players. Um, that's not to say that they don't have uh, you know attacking midfielders who can create, but not in the in the way that you probably would want, and even in the way that you see other MLS teams in you know in their own league doing. Um, but yeah, I could I could see another yeah another eight. I could see also maybe even another. <laughs> this might sound crazy. Maybe even another winger um, who's you know more dynamic, but yeah, and consistent. I mean yeah. that would be key. I mean and Andy Rose's injury. If we're talking about ugly, that that looked ugly. He looked really groggy going off. So hopefully the blood just made it look a lot worse than it actually is. So we'll we'll find out about that. I, I said last week I thought Rose might be the guy for the road and Felipe at home, so we, we might see that next match. Last yeah. bit for this part, quickly, we'll, we've talked a couple of bits about him already, but Derek Cornelius' play, he at least gave me a pulled-off at half-time moment, so there was that, but in the two games that he's got so far, not been good. He got a 4.7 rating yesterday, and if you look at their tracking, at one point yeah. before half-time, he drops off the tracking chart. I've never seen that before. That is bizarre. So he didn't look good as a left back. Didn't look great in a back three. Yes, it's early days, and he is a Canadian international, so obviously he's played at a highish level. But he did lose his place with the Croatian second division team, and that was put down to the new coach coming in. But has he maybe been thrown in to be an MLS starter just a little bit too early? Well, I mean, part of it, Michael, is. Again, just the whether whether it worked out they want the, the exact way they wanted it to or not. It was just how the squad's been built and the timing of it that he was one of the starters, right, going into 
uh, yeah. Really, well, Kamiri's injury doesn't doesn't help, obviously. No, no, not at all. So, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not willing to like you know write him off by any means. Oh, I'm um, certainly not either. But he just he hasn't covered himself in glory. Let's no, put oh, it that no, way. I mean, that, and that, that's obvious. And you but do I, wonder what that then does for his confidence. But yeah, yeah. You you talk about him getting confidence in this game to prepare for the Canada game. I see it almost the opposite way. The Canada game. Uh, could give him confidence, you know, for his MLS play. Yeah, well, we'll come to Canada in part four, but that's it for our chat about Whitecaps versus Houston, and we'll be back with some chat about the MLS West this week and MLS attendances after this. Hi, this is Andy Rose, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Franken Walters Never Ending Staircase, another band from Cork, regularly toured with the, the Sultans of Ping FC and Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. First proper concert I went to was Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine in Glasgow, and Franken Walters were the support band, so technically I guess they were the first proper band I saw live. Oh, that's not good, pretty cool. They had a t shirt that I've always wanted, and I've never been, I didn't buy it at the gig. And I've never been able to get it since. It, it just basically says, they took me to their planet. The, the title seemed familiar to me. And I was going, why does this sound so familiar? And then I realized that it sounds like a, a combination of Never Ending Story, the movie. Oh, and, one uh, of Caitlin's favorites. Stairway to, Stairway to Heaven, I think Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought it was like, maybe that's why it sounded familiar. And you, we were just watching Never Ending Story. It was on TV oh. before it came in. If you look at, there's a famous Escher painting, which is kind of, like a staircase that's kind yeah. of never ending and goes in the, all the doors and that and it certainly does feel like the white caps are on this never ending staircase right now of yeah. when will they, they start to click I mean they're, they're only four points out of the playoff places in the west and getting my positivity vibes back we're still not bottom nope. thanks to San Jose but with the white caps loss if no one was there to see it did it really happen <laughs> Because there was a shit crowd. Yeah, and then the, I think they piped in like chants in as well. I uh, think over they the just re- amplified the supporters. Was it? Yeah. I thought I th- it sounded like it was piped in. I thought it was like a pre-recorded chant. But as we said, something. it was great because it drowned out Stephen yeah. Caldwell. But no, no, I meant like after the goals were scored. That seemed more. Oh, that seemed more okay. like it was pre-recorded. Thirty, just over thirteen thousand officially at the game in that twenty-two thousand capacity stadium. It looked a lot less sacked, didn't it? Well, that's because that's the ticket sold number. For so, right yes, don't tell Bob Mackin. Don't tell him, no. He's got, he's got other fish to fry this yeah. this week with his requests for freedom of information stuff. Anyway, that's for another time. There's been a few poor crowds, though, seen across MLS to start the season. Chicago yesterday, they had hosted Seattle, 
So they're hosting a good team. They've got a good team. 10,032 in a 28,000 capacity stadium. But isn't Chicago one where it's like outside the... There, like there a, is a few. Well, Houston, Houston, Houston's right in the downtown core. But the thing is, apparently, from what I've heard before, is yeah. the downtown of Houston, nobody goes there the weekend. It's oh. like dead. It's oh. Houston's dead on the weekend in the downtown. Yeah, Weaver, Weaver's talked about that a bunch, that there's, like, there's literally nothing going on where that stadium is in Houston. So it's in the city, but yeah, it's not a... Not a great look. They have a lot of toll roads too, so it takes a lot of money to get to the even the Oh interesting. Well, if you thought the crowd in Chicago was bad, the one in Columbus was even worse against Dallas. Nine thousand six hundred and eighty seven. That's kinda disappointing. Yeah. They obviously well they saved them and now nobody's coming. This is the problem. And it's like this is a discussion that was had a lot in in Scotland over the years. Once you start to lose people to the game, they find other things to do. That's and 100%. it's really, really hard to get them back. You wait, get wait, used wait, to not going to the matches. Wait, what? What else is there to do in Scotland? Golf, nude beaches. In the winter, yeah. In the winter, yep. Nude beaches. Both, haggis. Both of those in the week, winter. Yep, chasing haggis around the fields. <laughs> oh, Michael! Roaming in the gloaming. No, oh, the the numbers are obviously uh, you know concerning. Uh, the 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 Columbus one for me, the numbers were. I know they got saved last year, but the numbers still weren't like anything to write home about. Yeah, and Chicago obviously had issues with their supporters pissing them off, no end. Yeah, so I think the Columbus one. What what the new owners have to be banking on is that the the new stadium in the city will revitalize everything and will draw people in. Uh, so in one sense, yeah, maybe that's a gamble. In another sense, maybe uh, they're happy to they're they're happy to, to they're happy to wait and see this you know the ship turn. That that, uh, that is that is probably true because the Columbus uh, the hockey team is I think their stadium is in downtown and they they draw pretty good compared to yeah. other teams that are lesser known. The, the other thing I, I I can't wait to see the uh, the Ohio derbies this year. Yeah, so that's that, true. I, wonder, oh. I wonder what that will what that will do for not just the attendance for those games, but maybe again build things up in the yeah. in the, the city of Columbus and then in the, in the in the state as a whole. That that should be fantastic. Now, Houston and Dallas, though, they, they've been in the the bottom six attendance wise last year, which makes it great that we're adding a third Texas team to the league. Yeah, why not move just one of them for God's sake? <laughs> but Wilmer Cabrera was actually asked about the poor crowd yesterday by one of the journalists, which I, I thought, oh, that's great to actually ask him that. And he had a really good response for it, so I just want to play that for you now. Three games now into the season. Uh, 16,000 attendance in the first game, 12,000 in the last one, 13 for this game. I imagine you don't, and your players don't enjoy playing in a, in a half-empty stadium. Do you think you and the team have, are, are doing enough to connect with the community to get them out here? Or why do you think the attendance uh, is so low? Well, uh, my job, I was hired to be the head coach for the Houston Dynamo. And our job, the players and us, is to bring joy on the field. If you tell me, in the the three seasons, this is the third season, we haven't haven't brought joy in Houston if 
scoring most goals than any other uh, team, Houstonian team or Houston Dynamo team in the history, having more goals, more attacking, more possibilities up front. Uh, but that, that's, we can do, we cannot do more than that. We need to qualify to the playoffs in this season. That's the goal. We want that. But I think um, in, in that aspect, you know, uh, we, we, we try to connect the best way possible is trying to bring three points, trying to bring flair over here, trying to have a respectful uh, team that plays well. That's what we're bringing. Now, are you doing enough as a uh, journalist? Are you guys doing enough to show that, to talk about that? Because that could be also my question, because when we see the stadium, and when we see other stadiums full of people and the teams aren't that forward mentality, we, we feel a little bit sad. What can we do? We are willing to help. Uh, but we, our main responsibility is try to bring, try to win games at home especially. And we're trying to do that. And I think we're, we're, we're improving in that aspect. Hopefully, we can find the formula to, to make the city proud and to bring more people in, into the stadium. So also, it's, it's, a, it's a good possibility that you guys may help us to, to spread the, the message, understanding that they have a good team here in Houston and the people can come and enjoy every time we play. Interesting take there from Cabrera. And in, in some ways... It's not the journalist's job to promote the team. It, no way it is, it is it. No, but it's like giving a, a team coverage. Yeah, you give the in coverage. In a city where, I mean, what, this, this Houston Astros, obviously, which is the, yeah. the big thing. You've got, obviously, the, the NFL team as well. Do the Dynamo possibly struggle to get featured enough in the press? I think it's more what he's meaning as opposed to promoting the team. Are they featuring them enough? Well, that's up to the editorial thing. If they, if not enough people are interested, then they're not going to be able to the, the, well, the that, feature. That's what it boils well, down to yeah. as well. Well, I, th- I think partly what he's saying, and it was kind of enjoyable to hear him uh, respectfully put push back on the question. Uh, is that uh, I don't think Steve, I don't think he's saying, "Hey, go out and promote the team for us." Seemed like but that's I'm what he was saying. No, but I think what he was saying is like. Maybe you could, in your reporting of the team, you could talk more about the things that we have been doing. You know, whatever, scoring the most goals in a league campaign, you know, in the history of the, of the MLS era or whatever. Uh, that's the only era, I think. Um, but um, Does that include the San Jose days? Or? That's, a, <laughs> that's a very great question, Michael. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, th- that kind of stuff. I think he's, he, I think he's saying... The way that they talk about the team when they do talk about it, uh, not in terms of like just could. I think he's asking them to paint a more clear picture of what they what they have done, not to not to uh, t- take away from the fact that they haven't won. You know, they haven't won enough to make the playoffs last year. or Whatever he sounded like he owned up to that in what he was saying, but he's saying there's probably you could you could do your job and and paint it in a, a, a bit of a more positive light. And that would help the team, which I think in one sense also helps the media. 
Yeah, and it's hard for some teams that are in markets where you've got the two, the big two, but you've got baseball and NFL. That's obviously going well, to, to most, fill the things. Like right here, now, the Canucks. Yeah, and also in Houston, the most successful team out of the – well, second most is the, is the basketball team. Right. So you actually have three teams that yeah, are bigger than them. totally forgetting about the basketball side as well. So, I mean, it is tough for a team like the Dynamo to find that place in, in the media. In Vancouver – we're kind of fortunate in a way that we haven't played well some seasons, but we still get the crowds in. Yeah. And I, I think this was a big off-season for the Whitecaps because if they hadn't replaced Carol Robinson, I think a lot of folk would have walked. Whether they might after this season anyway, depending on how this season goes, it still might happen. And but you can't take for granted this crowd and this fan base that we have in this No, city. but that's the thing. The, 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 well, I want to go back to the journalist thing. They, were, they weren't covering the Whitecaps very much when it was like, even when it was like 22,000 or 21,000, if they go down to dip down to 18, they were never covering. Just in this last year and a bit, not even year and a bit, sorry, last end, the end of the year, when all the controversies happened and everything, and then going into this year, have they even started um, covering more? And then on one of the stations, we have a, you have a one hour radio show now yep. back on, and that was canceled after so long. So, it's it, it's actually because there are more people paying attention to it. That's why now the media is paying more attention to it. It, it does all boil down to numbers because, and I, I've had this chat with Patrick Johnson at the province. You can put something out about the Canucks at midnight, and, and within the first hour, it's like four figure yeah. reads. You can put something about the Whitecaps, and at the end of a day or two, you've not even got into four figure reads. Yeah, so. They've got advertising and stuff to pay for. It's it's, it's tough for for soccer teams in North America. And, and you know what? That's that's fair. We've talked a lot over the years about how Vancouver, sorry, the Whitecaps have missed their opportunity to capture uh, and inspire the the people of this of the city. And they, they, in my opinion, they failed that in, in two ways. One on the pitch, and that's the obvious. Yeah, one, right. Because that, that's they what failed. puts bums on seats. Winning teams should put bums on seats, although Houston's record at home is good and doesn't necessarily do that. But here, a winning team will pretty much automatically put bums on seats. Totally. But the the second way that they've failed, and, and it it's unfortunate that, you know, I feel like I feel like this year was one of the, you know, set up to be on a plate for them, and, and it, you know, it's helping, but it's not, not enough, is the off-the-field stuff. They they have again in my opinion uh, not never never done well to actually fully become lovable. You know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, there's so many. And every couple do. of weeks is another off the the field thing. Like, yeah, I, I received an email tonight from somebody wanting us to talk about Bob Mack and looking into the what. what exactly what is this deal the Whitecaps have at BC Place? And that's something we'll maybe delve into in, in a future show. But it's like little things keep coming out that, and he actually said in his email, it's hard to love this team. Yeah. And and sorry, not every, obviously not everyone feels that way, but uh, it, it feels like there's a lot of people have reasons not to love the team and, and there's a like a variety of reasons. It's not even like necessarily yeah. one one thing. But, and and that's, that's something that they've failed to I mean, that, I mean that's something that's a result of how they've approached things, so, and they've failed to 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 alter alter things yeah. for whatever reason. 
But this was, you know, this year with the them for years now, people have known in 2019 they're going to celebrate the the thing. For years now, people have known this is when the hoop is going to come. Yeah. They 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 even in their season ticket package tried to be. Uh, I think in their minds, generous by including things like a patch and and doing the packaging up with the newspaper thing and whatever. And, and oh, which, and which if to... anyone has a copy that they don't want, I wouldn't mind getting a copy of that. Yeah, so get in touch with Michael. Yeah. But so I think they felt like, hey, we we went above and above, above and beyond this year. And I and I, I'm not saying this is uh, how everyone felt, but some of the feedback that I I've heard from people is like, this is nice, but you've fallen so far behind what other MLS clubs do that. Even this feels like not not enough sort of sort of thing, right? Yeah, and, but, and, but at and, least and to me, it's probably the second best season ticket package they've had since the, the first MLS. Oh, the fir- first one was wonderful. But I mean, we haven't fallen behind, and we are kind of leading the way attendance-wise. Of course, our Cascadian rival Seattle, before Atlanta came into the league, were blowing everyone away attendance-wise, which is kind of. Funny that then they were at the wrong end of such a low attendance in Chicago yesterday. But on the yeah. pitch, I mean, there are next opponents on March 30th. They had a strong showing in, in their 4-2 away win in Chicago. Jordan Morris... Who's he, proving me wrong, because yeah. I thought he was going to have a good start. He's looking good upon his return. Yeah. But it's not just him. Yeah. You've got Victor Rodriguez, Ladero, Rui Diaz. They're all looking good. Seattle's now 3-0 and to start the season. It's the first time they've done that since their inaugural 2009 season. So they're coming to BC Place in two weeks with their joint best ever start to face us that's got our worst ever start. And a talented Chicago team struggled to break them down. But they Maybe did. Maybe a they few did signs. Find yeah, yeah, they did find signs of defensive yeah. frailty. But yeah. this looks a tall order for the Caps in two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be rough. That. Um, what do you think, Zach? Uh, it's, it's it's hard to see it any other way, which is very frustrating for those who care about, you know, these derby matches, the Cascadia Cup, and not just what the result mean to the Cascadia Cup, but obviously what they mean in the league. Uh, anyone, anyone uh, right now who would, would, would say I, I I pick Vancouver to win this match is it's all 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 hard overhead. Now yeah. we know Seattle's good. We don't know what Dallas is because no. they're like good. And bad. Or like you would probably say Jekyll and Hyde? Yes. One of a few teams, I think, that we could describe as a Jekyll and Hyde team this year. They went down to a 1-0 loss in Columbus in this other low-drawing match. Um, It wasn't very much of a game either. Their attack looked impotent. It it was their first defeat of the season, and they were playing a strong crew side, who Caleb Porter seems to have got them pretty well organised already. I don't know. I don't know what... What we can expect of Dallas, and neither does anyone else. No, no, no. Else, no, yeah. no like, they, I think I think I can't remember which one of you it was, or it was both of you, but kind of thought this is the beginning of the, the decline for them. And we talked about. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be, and then they surprised me the way they started the season. Yeah, and then they yeah. Well, the coaching change I think was, is obviously a huge part of it, but the um, they they I agree with you. They looked really poor in this match. The the parts I saw of this match they. It looked very, very underwhelming, and it looked like uh, the young, their young uh, homegrown keeper Gonzalez kept them, like you know, was the one who kept them in this game. Yeah, boy, yeah, I, I don't think though. I, I, I kind of obviously hope that they, they do. They, this is a d- d- declining uh, year for them. It'd be good for us. A decline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for Vancouver, and, what one team and we might overtake. 
Well, I, I think another team that if we don't finish above them, it'd be disappointing. I might, I might streak <laughs> around the, the campus, might get kicked off the campus for doing that. But I will be stunned if San Jose finish above the White Caps. Yeah, they, they, they look dreadful. But they started off quick. Got oh the, yeah, got yeah, the they first goal. Took the lead against Red Bulls. Yeah. Then it all went to shit. Although they did lead until the fifty-first minute. But then New York kind of run right after that. I think four goals? They won 4-1? Four, 4-1, one? Four, one. Yeah. Four, one, yeah. Biggest yeah. disappointment for me, though, is we don't play them until July 20th. <laughs> That's a team you want to start off with. Yeah, because they might be sorted out by then. They might have new players by then. Wando's uh, still starting up front and my Wando watch. Um, yeah. I, obviously, I was I was uh, wrong as we talked about things in the preseason. I was hoping you know their new coach would be able to... Um, to bring different results with kind of what he had, and even though he's well, you know, good pedigree, yeah, good pedigree. Even though they made some additions, nothing, it, not much has changed. And then uh, obviously the team we faced last week got their comeuppance. Yes, in deservedly. DC. Yes, I think so. Uh, it was a marvelous performance by DC. Five nil. Wow. Wayne Rooney hat trick. Yeah. One of your old boys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he, it was. You finished off, like like the the three goals too. Like uh, the first one was a penalty. Obviously, was the first one a penalty? I think so. One yeah. of them was. Yeah, I've, one I lost the, track. Yeah, they were because they were coming uh, uh, really quickly. He hit the bar as well. Yeah, so he well, could have had, had more. Not, not for the first time, he's hit the bar. Quite and then, a few and times. then that's been. And then R, RSL ended up with two red cards. Oh, yes, going down two men, so it wasn't yeah, a good but, game for them at all. But the match was over by then. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it was three nil before the first guy got sent off. Savarino, that was the worst one. That was like a quick, like, oh, like yeah, kick the guy in the throat. Or no, it was face. a chin. It was, was chin, it chin, or it looked like chin. studs to the chin. Forget R- studs R- to anywhere else. Uh, Rudy's Rudy's second goal, the chip was a uh, was a nice little goal. Yeah, but DC, but he didn't even score the best goal of the game. It wasn't wasn't this the game where uh, DC scored off the oh the volley? the volley? Yes, yeah, yes, that, that was a volley from the out uh, edge of the box. I think it was. Rooney is on a bonus of 10,000 for a goal or an assist. Is and if he gets 16 in the season, it goes up to 15,000 for a wow. goal or assist. Good, just, good. Just, just to bring things back to Rooney's heritage there, I was watching with some people, uh, watching that goal with some people who, uh, you know, love his uh, former Red Club there. And uh, I turned to them and said, doesn't that goal remind you of Frank Ribery taking a corner at Old Trafford right to Arian Robin and tucking it in the, tucking it in on the volley on the bottom corner? They were they were not happy that I brought up that no. for them. And it's it's fitting to talk about Wayne Rooney on St Patrick's Day because he has a head like a potato. <laughs> Another former opponent uh, that the Vancouver played this year, Minnesota. Yes, you thought they were in for a another win. Because yeah. they're playing a, yeah, they're playing Galaxy, who were awful Nose, last week, and knows Latin again. Yeah, he seems to have an Achilles injury, but it's and not been th- confirmed how that bad. That doesn't sound good at all. The fact they're not saying anything makes you, unless I've missed it. But the fact that they don't seem to be saying anything, because hmm. even if it heals, it, it could rupture at any time. Yeah, and I, I guess if we're talking about Achilles, this is a, probably a good time to say get well soon to Marcel De Jong. Yeah. Who did his yeah. Achilles in during Pacific FC training this week? Heartbreaking for Marcel. He's going to miss the whole season. Yeah, five, five or six months before he can, you know, begin his recovery. He had surgery. Surgery went well. He's connecting with his dad. Oh, that's I just, good I, to know. I feel so. I feel so bad for so, him. So do I. It's yeah, awful. He was so looking forward to, it and we were hoping to catch up with him soon as well for a chat. But back to the MLS Galaxy. 
probably looked the best they did all year in their 3-2 win. They went two up. Then everyone was waiting to see how they would respond because Minnesota pulled one back. Would they collapse? In the end, kind of fairly comfortably, I think, got through. Teams exchanged goals there and they held on for the the 3-2 win. Their LA rivals, LAFC, played today. Not a great game. Hard-fought point at NYCFC coming from behind twice. Game I watched just before I left tonight. Colorado and Kansas City one all draw. There wasn't very much in that game no. happening too. Rubio put the Rapids ahead. And that then... was a horrible giveaway. I don't know what Melia was thinking at all. Yes, yeah. But you loved the, you loved the end of the match, right? Oh, I did. My Johnny, my Johnny did it for me. And and then Tim Howard, I don't know what he was doing on that. Know, he just like he like hopped. It was basically right. a hop over to it's the like, left. Why are you not he didn't even put his, any attempt to there go was for no that. Attempt. He could have got that ball. He I think so. He could have stretched and. Got that ball. Zach McMath would have got it if they kept him. <laughs> Brian Rowe would have got it. Oh, man. Well, and then a stupid sending off for Bloomberg as well because he kicked the ball away and got oh, a second yeah. yellow. But that was just it was before, a bit harsh, though, as well. That was just before the free kick, yeah. too. So it was like he scored with 10 men. Or I, th- I thought it was on. harsh, but it was stupid. But then the last game, of oh, yeah. uh, the game we want to talk we, we about. We saved the best to the end. Yeah, Portland going down. Yes, this had so much. Yeah. Cincinnati winning their first ever home match. Ex-White Cap and friend of Zach and us. Kendall Waston not only making history in Costa Rica with his famous goals, he will now be in the history books as the first ever MLS goal scorer in Cincinnati. Alan Koch, delighted for for Alan, we've known him for so many years and just great to see him off to such a good start. And he did the, Waston did the Three Stooges uh, celebration too. Oh, yes. I I guarantee you it's got some other meaning, but for us, for me, it's Three Stooges. (laughs) That was uh, Mo, no, Mo, no, was it Mo? Is it something to do with Kisak because Priscilla tweeted something out about it. Yeah, so yeah, Kisak has actually had some health issues recently and so i was going to ask you guys because i haven't been on social media much today i was going to ask you what what, what the heck was the meaning behind that celebration or if you knew if, i just know it as the three stooges one of the stooges actually does that when he goes on the ground and starts like yeah. going around and I, going. I can see it being the, tied into to k-sack uh obviously but uh if it has anything to do with three stooges and and tied into i don't know a certain banner or anything that would be pretty, <laughs> oh, pretty oh. Oh yes, that's that's a nice little. We'll we'll, we'll have to get to the bottom of. Yes. That. Oh, I didn't even think of that when no, I thought of the original. Yeah. Just bringing this up. Well, Shimmer text. Can, how, <laughs> how can you how can you think of anything else when you talk about three suits? No, because I was just thinking about the celebration. Oh. All right. Also, want to say delighted for Spencer Ritchie. Oh, fantastic! Who came he, in last week because of the injury to the guy whose name I can't pronounce. I don't think he should give it up either. No, he I should, think he's the, claimed the starting he spot made now. Sh- the one big save right off the line, and there was a couple other ones too. Last week as well, he was good. So I mean, yeah, he's played he, now, and he's the starter going two, forward. He has two to great be. games, and yeah, just delighted for for all the ex White Caps down there, and the fans of Cincinnati who deserve it. It was an absolutely fantastic atmosphere there today. And, yeah, good luck to them. The better of the two expansion teams in MLS this season. But that is it for our MLS chat. We're going to be back in part four with some Canadian men's national team talk. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
sweat the technique. Don't sweat the technique. Let's trace the hits and check the file. Let's see who bit the dot tech the style. I flip the script so they can't get filed. At least not now, it'll take a while. I change the pace to complete the beat. I drop the bass to MC get weak. For every word they trace is a scar they keep. Cause when I speak, they freak to sweat the technique. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. Don't sweat the technique there. No, Canada can't sweat the technique, they just got to get the win. Tell you someone that didn't sweat the technique today, Alfonso Davies getting his first Bayern Munich goal. Nice little finish. Yeah, and it was playing as a left back, I don't know what he was doing that far up the box. When you're hammering Mainz five 0 at home and you're the left back, you, you can you you have some. You can slip out your leeway, yeah. And 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 finish with your right foot, yeah. yeah. It's all it's all it's all good. I thought you would be very happy. And with and that. he and he honestly he wouldn't have got that goal if uh, um, that goalkeeper didn't rob Lewandowski of yeah. that big shot because that was right yeah, on nice the spot. Save. Yeah. Super happy for him. Uh, just another momentous occasion and what we hope will be. Many, many momentous yes. occasions over the years ahead. And another momentous one coming up for him this week because he returns to Vancouver, to BC Place, where it all began, if you ignore all the Edmonton years. But back playing for Canada in their last CONCACAF Nations League qualifier against French Guiana this Sunday. Next Sunday show we'll be talking a lot about that. The men's national team back in Vancouver for the first time since the World Cup qualifier against El Salvador, which, can you believe, was two and a half years ago. Feels like only yesterday that we were were heartbroken. (laughs) It makes sense when you think about it, but two and a half years, it just didn't seem that long. But CONCACAF Nations League qualifier, as we said coming up, Canada, one of six unbeaten teams, nine points from their first three matches. Top six qualify for Nations League A, with the top ten qualifying to the 2019 Gold Cup. Pretty much certain that yeah. Canada's the thing, done that. The thing is with this is a lot of the teams that are at the top of this uh, uh, table for this qualifying are playing each other now uh, because they're pl- all because uh, there was there was four different sections. There was A, B, C, D. We played D in the first game, C, and then B, and now this is the A team. That were uh, not the A team, but the the, do, do, do. the the team from the A group that we're playing. So everybody was playing one team from each group randomly. Okay. So this is so a lot of those teams at the top are going to be facing each other. So not everybody's going to be finishing with full points, or maybe they might be sharing the points in this game. I mean, it, sh- it should be a comfortable one for Canada. French it should Guiana, be, but you never know, too. Well, I mean, French Guiana's won two and lost one so far. Yeah. So that, it should be a, a fun game. Yeah. Chance to. It's, it's not just about the win because that should be a formality it's the nature of the performance it's keeping a clean sheet getting a look at some players with an eye for the, the gold cup and John Herman did a, a conference call with myself and some other media members on Tuesday just talking about the squad we're going to bring you that chat with John Herdman just now man's man I'm a man's man I'm a man's man ladies man I'm a man's man I'm a man's man I'm a man's man ladies man I'm a man's 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 man I
and a win would be enough for your top six objectives. Is there any uh, is there anything earned by finishing higher up, higher up, or uh, other than bragging rights? And secondly, um, obviously this will be a big game for Alfonso returning from Vancouver. What kind of uh, uh, feedback have you got from him about playing uh, before his uh, former fans in Vancouver? I think the first question is just important to keep the positive momentum going. I think for the players, they conceded two goals against French Guyana in their last outing. And I think clean sheets are important to this group. They they were able to head through 2018 you know, without conceding a goal. And I know that's an internal target for this group to, to maintain that, that defensive uh, solidarity and then on the attacking side to go out and really allow these players to bring everything they've got, which I think when people look at it on paper, there's a lot of talent there and we can sort of unleash, unleash that creativity at home and enjoy the home environment, enjoy the home field advantage. Then, uh, you know, we, we qualify for a Gold Cup, we qualify for Nations League Group A and and Canada are picking up ranking points that are important, and we're moving towards our ultimate goal, which is 2022. And I think uh, to your second point, with Alfonso coming home, you know, it's a, it's an important time for I think Alfonso. He's, he's being aware. You know, this is the place that really launched his career. I know he's uh, he's really looking forward to get back there to being in what he probably sees as his football hometown. And, and showing people, you know, what he's developed, how he's learned, how he's evolved and adapted. So I, I think for him it'll be nothing but excitement. It's like a thoroughbred just chomping at the bit to, to get on the racetrack and, and run. So, you know, I haven't spoke with Alfonso. He's just excited to come back. I know that you have a lot of young players coming up on this squad. Yeah, I think you had seven players that are 21 or younger. I just wanted to ask you about the balance of, of putting a squad together because you want to win this game, obviously, but I know you have an eye looking ahead to the World Cup qualifiers. I guess, how do you find that balance of you want to get a good look at young players that see will help you down the road, but you also want to want to win this game and, and you want to put the best squad that you can for this game? There's always that commitment uh, when you're selecting a national team to pick the best players, the, the best players that are available to Canada. And and some of that is there's a, there's, there's a longitudinal thought process and around players that we've identified with profiles that, that fit what we want to see in the future. So, you know, there, there'll be players now that are performing at a high level in, in different clubs around the world that, that could be selected and uh, could have an argument for selection. But there's definitely a need for some investment in, you know, young players that are showing that, that promise and that ability and, and potential to go on and play at the highest levels. And, you know, I've, I've maintained this right from the onset. By the time you get to World Cup in 2022, you need a minimum of six players playing at that Tier 1 level. And, and that Tier 1 level is the top five leagues in the world. You know, if, if you don't have that, uh, th- those, those players stable, you know, you, you really struggle in World Cups. And we've seen that from all the research and evidence that's out there. So... For me, it's about you know being future focused and looking at these young players that may have the potential, and and international careers and project people into you know higher opportunities than 
you know, I'll invest in those players that, that we can see that could have that potential, like a, a Balou Tabla or a Liam Miller. And, and look, with all of these players, you, you don't know. You just don't know where they're going to end up. But what we do know is we can help them on their journey. And they've earned that right. You know, these players are playing professionally. And, um, you know, for example, young Liam Miller scored his first professional yesterday. So, you know, these, these are the things we're looking at for sure. Just as a follow-up, is that one of the toughest things to do as a, as a national team coach, to try and find that balance? Yeah, I think it is. It is. But, you know, I think in, in Canadian terms as well, you're also you're looking at profiles of players that fit your, your style of play, your model, your identity. And, you know, that, that tends to, to narrow their search. So, like I say, you could have players that are in the older bracket performing well in leagues around the world, but they may not fit the profile of what you're actually looking for to produce on the pitch and to fit into what Canada's going to need in the future to, to be more competitive against the teams like Costa Rica, Mexico, and the U.S. So, you know, I think there's there's a number of challenges you always face as a national team coach where a player hits form and he wasn't in your plans and you're already investing in a you have to, you know, carefully de- deliberate on, you know, w- what you want to see. And I think Will Johnson's an example of that, the inclusion of Will into this camp. You know, you look at um, his form at Orlando in preseason and, and recently, you know, he's a player that <clears throat> has pushed himself back into the national team fold. You mentioned Liam, who scored uh, his first professional goal yesterday. Two questions on Liam. Uh, what have you made of his development since his loan away from Liverpool? And secondly, with so much attacking talent up front, where does Liam uh, fit into your plans? So I think the, the move to, to Kilmarnock, you know, having spoke with, with Liam and, and his dad and trying to get an insight into what were the best options for Liam. You know, he could have stayed at Liverpool and, and do 23 environment, but, you know, this being a Gold Cup year, we knew that it was important for him to get out and start playing in front of crowds and, and be in that environment like it is with the international where it's competitive every single day. You're competing against guys that, you know, they earn their living in the game and, and you know, their their families rely on them and it's a different type of pressure. I mean, some great examples of what he's exposed to is, you know, he makes a mistake in a massive game and Celtic and finds himself out of the squad. And then the manager makes it clear on that, you know, you've you've cost us a point. And there are lessons that young men are learning that uh, good or bad, they, they become part of the, the resilience that, that forms. And, you know, that was part of what we hoped this year, that Liam would, would get that experience outside of playing U23s where there may be 500 people turning up and the games aren't as meaningful. And, and I think that's the next stage of his evolution because the talent's there. And, and I think we all know it's whether he can cope mentally now with the pressures of professional football. And, you know, when you look at Liam in, in our team, I think what he does is give us another direct attacking option, you know, alongside uh, an Alfonso Davies. We, we've got Alfonso on the left. Liam likes to play on the left, but he's also capable of playing the nine and a wide right. So he, he does give us that, that additional threat. If you want to go with two out-and-out direct wingers that you know every time they're picking the ball up, they're going at their full-backs. 
it just gives us that flexibility up front. You know, you look at Balu Tabler and Junior Hoylitz, um profiles, you know, they're players that like to come inside and play inside and play in the half spaces, uh, whereas, you know, you could play a player on the right and the left are terrorising fullbacks every time they, they pick up the ball. So I think with Liam, he gives us that, that flexibility and, and, and obviously uh, an opportunity to either spot a game in a certain way or to bring him on and, and look at adding that, that real threat and, and that directness. Uh, John, you just mentioned uh, Will Johnson pushing himself back into the fold. Maybe talk. What were the kind of discussions you, you had with him, and, and what impressed you to, to put Will back in there? And, and do you see him getting back on up the depth chart of this team? Well, he, he certainly moved up the depth chart. I think to, to answer your question, you know, the first conversation with Will was prior to Mercia. He was playing well in Orlando. Um, you know, prior to my first camp, and we had a we had an open And, and I just wanted to find out where he was at, you know, mindset, and whether he was the right person for that environment at that time, based on his experience in that red shirt and how feeling about it. And at the time, I think we both we both agreed that he'd be available if selected. But you know, I, I felt that at this point, I was looking at you know fresh, fresh ideas, fresh energy, um, assessing a group of players that that hadn't been available at, at, at that time previously. So he missed out. And, you know, we've been talking uh, at every selection. I, I have that call with him. And what I love about Will is it's just open, honest. He's a mature guy. He knows where he's at in his career. He wants to get back to the shirt. I think what Will, you know, brings to the environment is that little bit of grittiness. Uh, he brings up, you know, we're going to get clear every game there's a consistency around his performance to be fair for Orlando he's, he's pushed in that attacking space this year which which you know I was challenging him on saying we want to see you playing forward more and you know so he's ticked some of those boxes but I, I think it just comes down to just the he's, he's a no-nonsense sort of guy he's going to tell you exactly how it is and I think in environments you, you often need a balance of those characters and you know, he's, he's that sort of guy that can bring a little bit of grit and a little bit of tenacity when, when it's needed, both on and off the field. So, you know, I think in planning for the Gold Cup, I wanted to have a good look at, at Will in this environment and for him to experience it as well, Stephen, like for him to come back and go, you know, this is what he wants to be part of and then we make a decision going into the Gold Cup if he's still in form. Just kind of continuing on from, from that conversation, there's a lot of competition Spots here, and there's you know there's lots of guys that are kind of on the outside and trying to work his way back in the squad, and I guess it put Will into that, that category, um, although he has made the team. Talk a little bit more about that that competition with guys like Victoria, maybe Ricketts, Jackson Daly, and uh, how that might um, help the squad in the long term if people are kind of pushing for spots. I think I think firstly that's the internal competition, like the big the big challenge and a philosophy that that I'm going towards for this camp. I've been working with these players now for over a year, you know, assessing them on and off the field. So I'm starting to get more clarity on which players need to be on the field for, for this team to tick. And, and I think, you know, a big, big part of what we want to do is, one, get the results, but the other bit is to understand going into the Gold Cup what versatility we have in certain players. The goal will be to have our best players on the field. And I think that's critical. There's no point in me having, you know, three world-class midfield. 
of them may not have had that real strength that you're looking for. So I think that's that's been in, in the planning going into this. I've, I've went in with eyes wide open and already had discussions with players about you know the potential of them playing in in positions and then building you know strategies and and tactics that allow them to get the best out of themselves from that position. But what it helps help Canada with the best players on the field. And then I think with, with people like, you know, Tesho Akindeli, I mean, you know, again, speaking to Tesho, he's been unlucky not to get called into this lineup. He's He's been in good form for Orlando. Uh, this is the first, I think, season for a while now that he's, he's starting to get that faith and trust from a coach. He's two games in and it's it's been very positive. So, you know, I think with, with Tesho, it's, uh, it's just... Uh, you know, he adds now that, that pressure, one, from uh, the coaches to, to select and to ensure that the conversations you're having with other players is, look, you, you, must, you must be on your toes now. You, you can't be settling for a, a life of mediocrity at your club where you might be at a big club, but they're, you know, the club are happy to keep you in a reserve position. You know, you, you've got to be fighting every day because there's a man here that's finding goals in, in the MLS and... There's nothing on the door. So I think all in all, in, in this environment now, there's, there's this competition. And even in places where you know players might have felt comfortable because there was limited depth, the the reality is we're bringing players there you know, that, that might be seen as players out of position into those positions to, to bring more competition. I uh, just wanted to ask you a, a little bit about what's happened in Vancouver this kind of off-season. Canadian coach has come in, he's added a few Canadian players. You're, the back line that you've got in the squad here, you've got Matt Cripot, you've got the centre-back partnership of Daniel and Cornelius. Just talk maybe a little bit about the importance, especially of having Henry and Cornelius, just training together every day and what that's going to mean to the national team. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's exciting to see that. Uh, you know, I think we were all hoping that that back four in the first game was going to be Cripple, Levi's, you know, Cornelius and uh, Henry. That would have been uh, an absolute treat for Canada. But you know, the fact that they are training together every day, I think that's that's important. I think they're they're at a very good club. They're at a club that um, you know the Canadian coach understands about international realities and. He wants to see these guys do well. So I know there's always going to be that pressure in the back of Mark DeSantos' mind with him being Canadian about giving these players uh, their shots. So, and to be fair, through the preseason, you know, those players accumulated a lot of minutes. Just such a, a good opportunity for us, particularly with, you know, these guys being quite young as well. They're, they're able to evolve together and help each other along. And the fact we're playing at BC as well, these guys understand that turf. They they know the the, the landscape. It's there's just a lot of positives and you know, kudos to the to the Whitecaps for you know bringing this this group together. The under twenty three team that they've launched here. Now, obviously, John, you talked about you wanted maybe the academies to play a certain way and stuff like that. Have you had discussions with Nick Dazovic about just where this Whitecaps under-23 team will fit in with, with everything that you have planned? Yeah, I think they're, you know, looking at the, the MLS academies, I mean, they're, they're always going to have their own identity and style. I, I think what, what we're aiming to do and what we have been doing behind the scenes is integrating in ways we've never integrated before, which is being in and present and visible more frequently 
interacted with Nick now for nearly seven years since I've been in Vancouver and always scratch my head of, you know, how a player, a coach of that experience and competence wasn't, wasn't coaching at the highest level. So, you know, it's just great to see him back. And I, and I know he's got, you know, the, the Canadian national team in his heart as well. So, you know, the, all those conversations are, are typically easy. But, you know, we've been very strategic, right? Oh, Mauro Biello is the 18 to 23 Excel director. His role is to focus on those relationships so that I'm not spread across too many areas in, in this whole Excel system. My goal is to oversee the strategic implementation of a lot of strategies that bind this game together for the first time, that really connect it. Mauro's the guy who is now on the ground with the details, so it's him that's speaking to the, the coaches at EFC2, the coaches at the Whitecaps U23s, the coaches at Ottawa Fury, the coaches at you know CPL clubs. He, he's the the conduit to bring our best 18 23s to my attention and to get them ready for Olympic preparation in U20s. So. You know, he, he's had those conversations with Nick about his role and how it how it all links and connects. So people have got clarity, and and we're efficient. That's great. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. And I wear it for my lady, the Canadian flag, baby. That was John Herdman there chatting to a few of us on Tuesday just about things with the national team and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that, that he discussed there. First thing I guess we'll ask you, Zach, who or what are you particularly looking forward to in this one? Yeah, well, obviously, it's a bit of, like everyone, it would be great to see Alfonso back in, yeah, just... Oh, is he going to be here? Sorry? He'll be, he'll be, is he, he'll be here? He'll be under a cloud of media... Yeah, I was going to be. He's going to have He's so to many folks all over him, want yeah. to talk to him this yeah. week. I just, yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see him again, um, and maybe yeah, hopefully connect and hear more about his time away. But uh, I think I think this is obviously a very strong Canada squad. Uh, there's so many exciting players to see. Um, you know, Mark Anthony K is back in the team. Atiba, yes, Atiba's, Atiba's name in the squad. Um, okay, got four current Vancouver players and four former Vancouver players, but the the, the, the thing I think which you, you sort of just referenced that is really really important here is performance slash how John Herdman sets them up to play. Because yeah, I think we've seen in some of these games where he you know they've been you know it was like one or two or you know two at the back and then the rest of the players were basically enabled to attack. Um, I don't know if it's going to be that intense. Um, but, I don't know. The fight caps attempted to at the back yesterday. I felt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be quite. And that different. was with three um, players. <laughs> oh man! Two of whom are in the Canadian defence. Yay! Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, they're, the opposition is quite different, and the attackers on the pitch are also quite different. True. Um, Although they're all Concacaf nations and stuff. So. Yeah. Right. But no, it's so exciting. Yeah, so exciting. it's an exciting time to be a Canadian national team fan. I've never, I don't, I can't recall so much like on paper talent, like people yeah, like you yeah. see, Scott see like, like Scott Arfield. You got 
Um, Scott Arfield. I, honestly, Osario. Um, you got Hutchinson. You got and uh, Mark Anthony K. You even got Samuel Piet, yeah. who who has been a bulldog in, in the previous qualifying games. I'm not. I don't even know how you're going to get all these guys in the midfield because well, you, yeah. you got so many attackers then as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like what is he like? There's that's, there's like you said, so many options. There's so many ways he could choose the approaches. Even though yeah. he on one one in in part of his mind will be like. We should dominate. We should score a ton of goals. Whatever he could say, okay, let's approach this in such a way as we want to play a certain style, not not to be arrogant or to assume victory or whatever, but we want to impose ourselves on this game in a certain way. And and like I said, he's already done that with some of these games, and so we yeah. can see if he does that and and exactly how he does that because the the the, the different combinations that he can put together are like. They're so vast. Like you could put, you could put like if you want to dominate the midfield, you could put Hutchison um, with Piet and Mark Anthony K. If you want to just like to, and then you know three guys in attack who are just going to attack, and you know Miller and Davies at fullback again, you know, and like it. There's, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many possibilities. One guy that might miss out now is Will Johnson, who went off with a right. suspected concussion. 21 minutes into the Orlando game yesterday. I checked. I couldn't find any clarification as to what's happened, but it looked like he was going through concussion protocol, which if he was, is going to rule him out for this one. Which, no matter what you think of Will Johnson on a domestic front, he's he's a Canadian player. He was so wanting to get back into the squad. John talked about it there in, in the audio, that he sat down with him and he's he. this was his chance to have a look at him to see if he had what it took to go to the Gold Cup with them. Yeah. So you n- might now miss out on that. No, and he's the – well, there'll be other games that they could play down the road. But, um, like, he, like we were talking about – if you look at the roster, Sam Kuby's there for as a left back. He's coming yeah. as back I'd, as well. I'd like to see him get the start. And at the right back, there, there's a couple of young guys, but you also have options at the right side where you could either – you could have put Will Johnson there because he has played right back. Even Atipa Hutchinson for his uh, Turkish team. Uh, back mm. in the day, he played a lot of right back. Yeah. I think even in uh, in Netherlands, he played a, a, quite a bit of uh, uh, right back there's, as well. There's zero chance that Thibaut Hutchinson. I know, but I'm saying yeah. I'm saying it's an option if you want to put your absolute strongest eleven on the team. He, the, he that that is a possibility. Personally, I would put Daniel Henry as right back just for the shit and giggles. No, I wouldn't do that at all. Michael, I think I think it's gonna be Henry and I, I kind of think it might be Edgar. Henry and Edgar. You know, at the back. I was thinking that as well. The only thing, it, well. You've only got three recognised centre-backs. Yeah. Yeah. And Edgar is playing English non-league now. But Cornelius has not had a great start. That's what season, I'm thinking. So that it might be Edgar if they took it out into I mean, but does, does Edgar really want to play on that turf? That of course. Right. He wants, he, he's just coming over, basically, to speak to me about hanging monkeys. I think that's basically all it is. But as John mentioned there in the audio... He he doesn't want to have... He, he knows he's got quality players and he doesn't want to have three top quality players in the midfield and another three sitting on the bench. So he has basically said he wants his top players on the field even if that means them playing in unfamiliar positions, which I'm guessing might mean we are seeing Davies at left-back, but who knows? But it does sound... I mean, we always talk about managers trying to put square pegs in round holes... Herdman just seems to want to have his top, top talent out there. And that could make for an interesting spectacle, if nothing else. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I'll i be surprised if Davies isn't starting at left-back in this game. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the fact that he, he was playing there for Bayern today or yesterday and, and got the goal, I, I think we probably will see that, which is a bit of a shame for Sam because I would like to see Adi Kugbe back playing on the, on the BC turf. Do we have a score prediction from you? Oh, I hope I hope it's... Uh, this is ridiculous, but I'm hoping it's 8 or 9 nil. Wow. I was going to go 8-1. I'm not yeah, gonna go that high. I was I was thinking I was thinking three three nil, and I was thinking that might be high. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm being crazy. But. I just thought eight one because we've got Whitecaps defenders. There's bound to be a goal given up. It's that Prairie error that's making him crazy. Mm. Oh, it maybe is. But anyway, that is it for our Canadian national team talk. We'll be back with the last part of this week's show, wavelength and BC Soccer Web headlines. After this, I'm David Edgar, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back. Now, it's time for my favourite part of the show. It's wavelength time. If you're a new listener, this is the part of the show where we play a song about football by a proper band. We're going back to the mid-90s, a Norwich, England band. Played them a few times before, Halftime Oranges, from their Rotterdam Nation album. It's a song about finding love with a girl on the terraces, but just not being able to pluck up the courage to... Ask her out, but you need to do it soon because the season is ending. This is Terrace Girl. When I first saw you, you were in the West End. Wearing your little bubble hat. You were screaming at the referee. And cursing our sides lethargy, I thought. Terrace Girl there by Halftime Oranges from their Rotterdam Nation LP. I've gone for some more melodic songs this month. Seems like it. Hmm. Last week was a little bit better than this week. Yeah. Yeah, this, this guy, like, 
Captain Orange is its two full albums of football songs. He hasn't got the best voice though, but they are football songs. So I've kind of eased them in gently over the two years of doing this. But don't worry, because Football Violence Awareness Month will be next month now. So we'll be back with a, a bang and some more shouty and punky stuff. But now it's time for BC Soccer Web Headlines. BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com, your one-stop site for local, national and international news, stories, links, everything you could want from the world of football. Make it part of your daily routine. Check out bcsoccerweb.com. What has been catching your eyes this week, Stephen? Uh, not too much. It's uh, I kind of tried to pare it down because uh, I knew this was going to be... Because you knew it No, no, th- uh, no, not that. I knew because we were talking about the game and then you got kind of soccer and everything, so I knew we were going to go a little long. So I wanted to get the bigger stories out there. Uh, first of all, um, Argenti- uh, Argentina and Colombia are set to host Copa America 2020, even though the capital cities are like six, mile, uh, six hours apart by plane. Uh, so not that close. Uh, there apparently there was interest from the USA, Australia, China, Russia, and Qatar to host, which yeah. I thought, and they might still do that in the future. I hate this. That's stuff. a bad idea. Yeah, like it, it would if be it's like a, moving the Euros and going to play it in the Middle East or something. Yeah, it's it's not, it's, it's your continent's tournament. <laughs> Play it on the continent. Now, I can understand if they combine with CONCACAF and do a tournament in the U.S. Yeah, that's fine. that's different. But I don't think that... I wouldn't be happy with that if that no. ever happened. What do you think, Zach? Well, well, I can't believe Qatar is in this list. Oh, they're just in the list for everything. It was just it was shocking. But no, I agree with both of you. I was more surprised that Russia was in the list. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about FIFA right here. Um, apparently, uh, the Confederation of African Football's president... Ahmed Ahmad uh, from Madagascar has was refused a visa to enter the U.S. Uh, to attend a FIFA council meeting in Miami. Um, apparently, there are no bans for Madagascar citizens like there are bans for other countries. Uh, but nobody knows the reason why. I was trying to double check to see if he actually did make it eventually. I'm not sure, so I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see an update anywhere there. So that that yeah. So I don't know if he made it to that. But I look I look forward to hearing more about that next week. Steve. But do you know? Uh, is this somehow related to uh, the whole uh, FIFA prosecutions and stuff that's been going on? Well, if there was, if he was being prosecuted, they would want him to come in so they can arrest him. So I don't see why right. they would deny that. No, I think maybe, maybe he's not allowed access. It could be somebody with a similar name that, that, that is on a list, and that's why they refused him a visa, just to be safe. You know, or that. maybe they're just not a fan of those Penguin movies. Possibly. FIFA, uh, those council meetings that we were talking about, there were some decisions made. Yeah. Um, the bigger one was there was a approval for a FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, now, I'm going to give you some information that you guys can discuss because I'm sure you have a lot to discuss here. It will be, be taking place uh, in June or July, replacing the Confederation Cup, so a year before the actual World Cup. There will be uh, 16 teams, eight from Europe, six from South America, three from Africa, three from Asia, three from North and Central America, CONCACAF obviously, and one from Oceania. Each club could earn uh, 50 million uh, euros just for attending. Um, Obviously, there might be more prize money for the winners. As of right now, the European Club Association, which represents all the clubs in Europe, 
are firmly against it. There's been a number of teams that have uh, spoken up, including uh, the Bayern, the head of Bayern Munich. Yep. He, he, he recently just said something about it in the last day and or the so. the Bayern Ultras had a, a big protest banner about it. And he th- they feel that there should be no changes to the FIFA current calendar, which runs to 2024. Now, right. the timeline for this tournament is yeah. ju- June 17th to July 4th. And then pre- just previous to that, from May 31st to June 8th, there's supposed to be World Cup qualifiers. And then right after that, starting on June, f- July 5th, there would be Africa Cup of Nations and the Gold Cup in that year. So that would, and somebody, especially playing in MLS, that was, if somebody was, or, or even, uh, or an African team or uh, somebody from the Mexican league, they would be like in there for a long time before they were a top player. And that's supposed to be their off time. Yeah. Ridiculous. If, if this wasn't simply a cash grab and about making more money, I, I could see the the appeal to it. I could see the like the competitive excitement about it. Like, okay, like oh yeah, I mean, in, in theory, I mean, it's a wonderful it's, thing. Totally, yeah. It's like the World Cup is so meaningful for national teams. It's it's the one thing that sort of has this mystique that's bigger than the game in, in one sense. And to want to do that with club teams because really club football. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's more significant than than international football. Yeah, especially the longer you hang out in the football community. Um, at least that's what I've noticed. Um, and so to try and have uh, a trying to to create and build uh, a tournament that has a similar mystique and value and appreciation it, again, in theory, is a really interesting idea. But when you know that they're just out to make more money, um, it, it kind of hurts things. Uh, and even these big clubs that want to make big money, them opposing it is obviously an issue. The timing of it is an issue. And what's ha- what happens in summers where there's World Cups and uh, the European Cup and then sometimes like, uh, I mean, not so much the Gold Cup, but the uh, Copa America uh, to a lesser degree uh, than, the, than the Euros is you see these big clubs' performances suffer because players are playing so many games. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be absolutely drained. And you know as well it's going to hit domestic cup competitions because the big clubs are not going to care about that at all. So they're going to rest the players for that. Now, when asked about the... uh, Because a couple of the bigger clubs, they said they would just boycott the tournament. Um, Infantino basically said that he hopes to get the best teams there best available teams who are willing to come. Oh. So maybe the, it won't be that great of a tournament the first time out. It's going to be the White Caps against Papua New Guinea's Toti City Dwellers. And, and the thing is, people talk about the World Cup being like, you know, you have the bottom feeders and you have the top teams. Uh, club football's worse. Like, oh, yeah. if you can imagine, like, the, the, the results are going to be in this one when the, an Oceana team is oh, going to play yeah. a team in Europe. It's going to be horrendous. I don't think it's going to be that great uh, of football. I think once you get to the end, but then you get that in Champions League anyway. So what's the point? Well, that's that's the other thing is like how are you going to do the actual like how's the, I know you have the numbers from each confederation, but what, how are you going to qualify? Because you're right, Steve. Like even now with the 18 tournament or whatever, is it eight or seven or six or whatever? It is it's eight? I think. I think it's eight. seven. One from each of the confederations and, and the hosts. And then, and the, yeah. and oh, the right, host, and the hosts. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's still even there. Yeah, you you get some. It's so small and. It's so short, but you still get some blowouts. And most years, it just ends up being the South Americans versus the Europeans. Um, not every year, obviously, but, but most years. Um, but so, how how are you going to determine which teams gets in? And it, yeah, it's 
there's a there's a there's a big mess. And the crazy thing is, if the the European clubs are basically saying, look, uh, one, I think they're just trying to safeguard their leagues and their players, but they're also saying, look, you think you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be fifty million per per club. Well, let's see if you can do that without us there. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. The last thing I want to say about this too is. It's really disturbing that the, uh, I agree with the, the big European clubs on, on the perspective of you want to uh, alter an existing calendar. This should be something that should be more well-planned and well-thought-out ahead of time. And if they really want to do it, it needs to be a part of the next calendar. And the change needs to be reflected in where these other tournaments are and all that kind of stuff. The, there needs to be knock-on effects kind of thing so that it's not as uh, yeah, taxing on players. For sure. Um, so uh, another thing, I don't know if this was at this um, at this council meeting, but it was uh, FIFA's. Uh, now this is a wicked name. FIFA's dispute resolution chamber. It's not even a committee; it's a chamber. Um, they ruled against two U.S.-based youth clubs uh, th- who were looking for a cut of a transfer fee. The two clubs were Soccer's FC Chicago. Uh, they were looking for a, uh, like a partial fee of the Michael Bradley transfer from Roma to TFC, and the Dallas Texans were looking for a similar one for Clint Dempsey move to uh, from Tottenham to Seattle. There's been no decision on the DeAndre Yedlin move. Uh, I think that was the crossfire are involved in that one uh, from Seattle to Tottenham. Now the, they've obviously made these decisions. The, the couple of funny things is, no, well, sorry, one funny thing is. If the clubs want to know why the decision was made, they'll have to pay a $10,000 fee uh, to find the reason for the rejection. Uh, and a lot of people feel the rejection was because there was incomplete uh, records held on these players. And that's where I think we talked about a, a month ago or maybe a month and a half ago when we talked about everybody needing a passport now uh, for players to yeah. see where they play and so they can keep records of where they are going. Transparency. You should not have to pay ten thousand to. That's find really out. stupid. I th- that, that, yeah. I think that's just the not wanting to release the information. I was going to say, Steve. I don't think those clubs think that's really funny. No. Well, I, I find it funny. I find it, I find it like because it's stupid. That's why I find it funny. Yeah. 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 I. Uh, it's unfortunate that that uh, America is so far bank, uh, so far behind how this works in the rest of the world, and I hope. I mean. I hope for the sake of these smaller clubs and for the – you want the money to go to these smaller clubs so they all continue to produce players and see value in moving on players. And it's not just a, just a community fund thing for kids. It's also an opportunity to, to grow what you're doing. And so I, ho- I hope that uh, – I hope that the DeAndre Yedlin case produces uh, the, the solidarity payments that, that should be made to that, that club. For sure. Um it, yeah, you don't have any more international headlines, right? No, that's it. Do you have could, something? Could I ask you guys about your perspective on one thing? Sure. Uh, did you guys see? This is at, I think it was at the end of last week, uh, or um, within the last eight days or nine days or whatever. Um, did you see how Joachim Löw, the German national team coach, uh, went to Bayern uh, a few a day or so before the announcement of the squad, or a couple days before the announcement of the squad? He had five-minute meetings with um, Matt Hummels, Jerome Boateng, and Thomas Muller and told them that uh, even though they're 29- and 30-year-olds, uh, that they, he will no longer select them for the national team. Uh, and now, so they've been, they've been dropped from the national team forever in his reign. Uh, 
Yeah, I heard um, that. I just wonder, do you guys have any thoughts or perspectives on that? Well, it's, I think it's a good thing that he told them, but, you know, it's, I don't know. There's one way, like, they could have said, he could have, I think he should have said that we're, we're dropping you for now. We, it could change in the future, but to make it so, so cut and dry, uh, that kind of seems disrespectful. But he did tell him in advance before he made the announcement, and that's kind of good too, but five minutes seems kind of quick too. It seems like a quick chat. Also seems and, really young just to end folks' international yeah. careers. I mean, well, you, you yeah. need some experience in a, in a squad. Yeah. The, the, the thing about the meeting at, at the Byron HQ at the Sabinastrasse is that it was like not like a planned, scheduled meeting. I think it kind of just showed up and kind of, kind of grabbed for it. In Germany, uh, my understanding is there's a big split, a big divide in how it was handled and the decision itself. And so I just it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because basically, in one sense for me, it feels like this is uh, one of the last straws for Yogi Love. Like it's if he, if he, uh, yeah, if he has injuries and has issues, like he can't bring he he literally can't bring those players back. And so yeah. if he if he continues to underperform like they have at the uh, they did at the World Cup and they have in the, the new uh, you know league play thing, getting relegated, which is ridiculous. Oh yeah, um, now you'd be playing Scotland. Right. Exactly. Horrible teams like Scotland. So uh, if he continues to, if things continue to fall apart on the pitch, he'll be gone, and then obviously these players could be selected again in the future. But it was like just such a huge, huge thing in Germany. Were you surprised he didn't pick Alfonso Davies for the German squad? <laughs> do, th- do you think it's goal this weekend, or will put him back in the picture? <laughs> I love your humor, Michael. I'm just, I'm just hoping that when he uh, ended the conversation with the guys, he would say, "Smell you later." He, people who I got you. I got you. I got you. No, no, no. Just if anybody's wondering what that means, just YouTube. Uh, just search him on YouTube and uh, search uh, "smell" or something like that, or "pick." Um, you walk him, you walk him Yeah. So uh, we're talking about the Canadian national team earlier. They unveiled the Canadian kits um, in a, an event prior to obviously the Women's World Cup and the women. I think the women will be wearing. I don't think the men will probably be wearing the old ones. Um, but I'm not very impressed by this new no. one at all. It just seems like very a plain red. Yeah. I don't know what Nike is thinking. A lot of people were saying, oh, please bring Umbro back or something like that. Um, I thought at first, I thought there was some some kind of shading, but what it was, it was the shadow of one player on the other one, so that's what it was. <laughs> but it was it was just a plain red shirt not, with a crest. Not nice at all. Hey, Steve, the, the men are going to be wearing some kind of Nike Canada kit this, this Sunday. Are they? Maybe it is that one. Maybe they're debuting it then. Yeah, they they have to be because the the, the deal's done, man. Like, oh yeah, well happen. I didn't know that. I wasn't sure because they mentioned that it was meant for the women. Like they're the ones that yeah. presented. I thought they were going to be debuting it at the World Cup. Not so, a fan yeah. unless there's some free ones going around. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like Nike. Period. I think the one thing that we, we've gotten to know about the the large football manufacturers uh, is that you can't unless you pay or unless they're paying you crazy amount of money if depending on how that all plays out or unless um, you have a strong influence well yeah you're one of the top teams sure. you're, you're, you're it's really hard to get uh, your a design made really quickly you know what I mean and I don't think the I don't know how long this this deal's been in the works although I think it it didn't just happen overnight um, uh, I don't think there's been a lot of lead time for them to produce something for Canada that would be more unique and dynamic. And I, I, you, you have to expect that the next kit, whether that's next year or in two years, that that one will be a little bit more, let's say, inspiring. Yeah. 
Um, last uh, but not least, not uh, we're going to be ta- big, big congratulations to Callum Irving, who is returning to the Ottawa Ferry, and I think is their starting keeper. I'm not sure. No, no he'll be no. backing he, up for um, now. Mon South. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh. But he could easily take him over uh, at some point of the year. But uh, yeah. big up to him to returning back to Ottawa. Yes, well yeah. then, Callum, good to see you back there. Happy is at a club, but unfortunately, he's at like Canada's oh. least like club. I like them. Yeah, what? but you're not Canadian. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true, yeah. Anyway, that is it for this week's show. Thank you for staying with us to the very end. Thank you to Zach for joining us from Calgary for the whole show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For uh, me, you can uh, find me at Zachary M. I'm a part of the Mo- Movement Cover Collective, and this uh, upcoming Sunday, you can find me supporting Canada with the Voyagers in BC Place. I'm Michael McCoy. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, Instagram at AFTN Soccer, YouTube, AFTN Canada. Give us a subscribe there. Give us a rating and a review on iTunes for the podcast. Thank you for listening as always. We will be back next Sunday. It'll be mostly Canadian men's national team talk, but we might have a few other little surprises thrown in as well. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and more the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.